0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the
2: Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt
2: Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
0: BYU
1: Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program and top of the morning to you. It's Thursday morning. Holy cow. The week's just flying by. Isn't it great? You're almost there, folks. You've almost made it another week on this crazy thing we call life. Now, today, have we got a show for you. We are going to uh, take a deeper cut today on a topic that you heard in the Democratic debate. That uh, all you heard, it seemed like, over and over and over was, you know, income inequality, income inequality. How the top 1% make 90% of the money. And the rest of us, the shrinking middle class, you heard a variety of different uh, takes on inequality and income inequality. So we decided to bring in the experts, and uh, in just a few minutes we'll be talking with Dr. Joseph Fishkin, who um, wrote the book, basically, on equality and, and inequality. His book is called Bottlenecks, A New Theory of Equal Opportunity. And his point is, you can say whatever you want about opportunity, equal opportunity, income inequality. But the reality is, there, there isn't probably ever going to be a day when everyone will have the exact same opportunities. Because there's a bottleneck. There's certain things that are stopping people from even having income in, income equality or equal opportunity. So we're going to be getting into that. And uh, he's he's a brilliant man and excited to talk to him. He's from the University of Texas Law School, and really it's it's a great discussion. So um, stick with us for that. That's going to be really it's one of my it's one of my favorite. When you finally meet a guy that you know knows so much mm-hmm. about this subject, it's it's a brain buster. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, Bernie ready? Sanders, two million bucks. Apparently, he's yeah. raised about two million dollars.
3: Yeah, over several thousand. Let's see, what's that? Over thirty thousand individual. Yeah, uh, that's people. not one
2: donor throwing right. down two mil. That's yep. a bunch of people saying we liked Bernie. So yeah. people thought Bernie lost that debate. No, Bernie made two million bucks. Yeah.
3: I think uh, it was an average of over $30 per yeah. uh, donation, I believe, from that many people. So good for him. It's kind
2: of the old Obama model where you just get a lot of people to give a little money and yep. then bada boom, bada bing, bing you're the you're president. In, yeah, You're the president. Hey, uh, Donald Trump apparently is going to be hosting Saturday Night Live on mm-hmm. November 7th. <laughs> Woohoo <laughs> Which is funny because he's already on the show every week because he's just so darn – he's not, but a parody of Donald is. So um, he'll be on Saturday Night Live, November 7th. I mean, the guy can get free media. He, no wonder he, he wants, wants to finance to his own campaign because yeah. everything's free to him. Exactly. Jeez Lord. That's why he's so wealthy. I know. it's exactly right.
3: Speaking of income inequality, don't yeah. you love it when those that are you know, super millionaires complain about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know,
2: I don't, I don't get that. You don't know. Yeah. You try commuting.
3: You give some of your money.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Give us your money. Hey, uh, speaking of income inequality, do you like my new coat? Love it. Yeah. Guess how much it cost? I'm not going to brag. I'm guessing it was free. It's twelve dollars. How did you get that for twelve dollars? Uh, TJ Maxx. Did you really? This you this did segment not. Is sponsored by TJ Maxx. Did you really? Yeah. Twelve dollars. 99 It's you Brigham Young University jacket. You have to tell University me which jacket.
3: location when we get there. There's the another air. one there. Is it really? I mm-hmm. will need to go get one for my son. He'd love that. They're awesome.
2: And I didn't know if I would like it, but it's cheap. Cheap's not the word. It's inexpensive.
3: Looking good. You're going to fit right in here on campus. What
2: I know, what I believe, though, is that, and you tell me, because is this, my, people look at me like, you look like a billboard, because I'll wear anything that's free or cheap. (laughs) And my wife and others say, you know, maybe you ought to just, like, get like a no-name, like get one without a big brand on it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the reason I said free because people don't know that it yeah. says Brigham Young on there, so, yeah. I'm, su- I just, so you I'm assuming that somebody Don here? maybe yeah. was yeah. nice and gave you a free yeah. gift.
2: Yeah, no, Don. No, Don is super nice, yeah. but Don didn't. Not that nice. But Don could. <laughs> <laughs> if Don's listening, I'll take whatever yeah. paraphernalia, whatever clothes pants, you want me and you'll to. You'll be ready to go. <laughs> my matching BYU pants. <laughs> hey, um, by the way, my kids are. Are your your kids are all out of house? Yep. Uh, I have. I found out it's like it's like a fall break.
3: It is this weekend. Yeah. Yep. Yesterday was the I last just found day that of school.
2: Out. All my kids are home. Yep. They're all home today.
3: And you're just asking right now, why are you home? Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> what the?
2: How come nobody are you told me? Up so
3: late last night.
2: Like I, on you would think we'd be doing something as a family.
3: Yeah. No. 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 We're just taking off with that. Yeah. Just again,
2: no, that, it's weird. It's like, no, Dad, just keep working. <laughs> we We're need j- the money. We've got a lot of plans, but you just keep working. They're <laughs> all going to a movie today.
3: Fun. Man. I think tonight we're going to go see The Martian. Are you? Uh-huh. I've heard it's great. I can't wait. It is great. And then Friday we, we're going to go see the new Tom Hanks movie, the spy movie. Holy Which cat. I'm really excited about.
2: Plus that uh, in Utah is the playing of that um, Just Let Go movie. Right. It's only this weekend. Oh,
3: is that this so weekend? Y- yeah, you You got to go see that, you
2: go see that yep. if you want to see That's a lot of movies. You've been
3: pumping that. That's a lot of movies. Wow. And we don't go to a whole lot, so yeah, this will be a big weekend.
2: Either do we. Well, apparently I, my kids are going to have a big weekend. <laughs>
3: They'll just give you the movie reviews when the they're done. The thing. Yeah. I've got
2: to get a life. I know you do. Um, uh, anyway, Kathy, let's go to your world. Uh, anything going on in the headlines?
3: Plenty to talk about. Matt. Good morning, everyone. President Obama is expected to announce today he's dropping his plans to withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan by the end of his final term. This coming after acknowledging Afghan security forces are unable to fend off the Taliban and other Islamist, Islamist insurgents. The U.S. has just under ten thousand troops there currently as part of its NATO mission. And Obama will reportedly reduce that number to around 5,500. The U.S. has been in Afghanistan since 2001, and Obama had promised to end the Afghan war on his watch. At least a dozen activists were arrested early this morning after refusing to leave Baltimore's city hall. The protesters were angry that Interim Police Commissioner Kevin Davis was being given the position permanently. That drama began last night during a city council subcommittee meeting, and the group refused to leave until Davis and Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake met their list demands, including making changes in police tactics. The council's appointment committee approved, approved the vote on Davis, which now goes to the city council on Monday. Two parents face first-degree manslaughter charges after two of their sons were beaten at a church earlier this week. A 19-year-old was killed and the 17-year-old brother is in serious condition. This coming at what was called a counseling session at the Word of Life Christian Church in New York.
4: Both brothers were continually subjected to physical punishment over the course of several hours in hopes that each would confess the prior sins and ask for forgiveness.
3: The parents are being held on $100,000 bail. More details have emerged about Lamar Odom. The former NBA player was taken to a Las Vegas hospital after he was found unconscious at a Nevada brothel on Tuesday. New reports say Odom took cocaine and as many as 10 sexual performance supplements. Odom is reportedly on a ventilator, and sources say he's had at least one stroke and has suffered brain damage. Tuesday night's Democratic debate on CNN averaged just over 15 million viewers, according to the Nielsen ratings. Well, that was a new record for Democratic debates, it fell far short of the second GOP debate numbers on that same network that had 23 million people watching. By the way, more people tuned into the drama NCIS on CBS than Tuesday's debate. Speaking of the debate, Joe Biden, who was still mulling over a possible run at the White House, was asked about his thoughts on Tuesday night. I was proud. of. of but I
5: thought they all did well.
3: Many political pundits expect Biden to announce his decision before the end of the month. Olympic sprinter Oscar Pistorius will be released from prison Tuesday and serve the rest of his sentence for killing his girlfriend under house arrest. Pistorius is serving a five-year sentence after being convicted of manslaughter for shooting his girlfriend Riva Steenkamp. The decision comes after Pistorius served just one-sixth of his sentence, or ten months, behind bars. The Kansas City Royals beat Houston last night 7-2 to and are moving on to the American League Championship Series. They'll face the Toronto Blue Jays, who also advanced after beating Texas 6-3. to One game to Tonight, the Dodgers host the Mets in Game 5, the winner to play the, club, the Cubs on Saturday. And Matt, what do you buy the billionaire that has everything? Or you? What? what I what buy you him buy, a $12 yeah?
2: jacket from TJ, TJ Maxx. Maxx. perfect. <laughs> well, how about
3: this? How about a one-way ticket to life after Armageddon? Wow. Yeah, the super-rich have been invited to buy a place in a five-star shelter in Rothenstein, Germany. Ben, is that a Rothenstein?
2: Oh, this is going to be crazy. Rothenstein.
3: Rothenstein, Wrong. Germany. The bunker is designed to let you live for one year and then emerge when, quote, the worst is over, Ooh. but only 34 high-worth families will be welcome into the European doomsday den. The sumptuous $1 billion building is a perfect balance between luxury and safety, what? fitted with swimming pools, gyms, and theaters so the rich don't get too bored while the rest of us are either dead or struggling to live. Vivos <laughs> is the most affordable way to secure ownership and space for you and your loved ones in a real underground shelter built to withstand virtually any envisioned catastrophe, the owners wrote. Luckily for some, Vivos is now in a race against Time to build a global network of underground community shelters, comparing its mission to the construction of Noah's Ark. Alleluia,
2: Alleluia, Alleluia. Hold it. Yeah. How do how do they know that Armageddon isn't going to be centered in Rothenschin, Germany?
3: They don't know. They don't know they that. don't know that. But they built, I guess, one that is so um you know, so strong that they'll be OK, even if it is there in all Raffensland, Germany. Now, no word on the cost. Yeah. But I'm kind of guessing it's like when you go to a, a fancy restaurant and you have to see the price on the menu. If you have to see the price, yeah. you're probably in the wrong place. You're in the wrong league. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: That's exactly... So, there you c- go. Yeah. Matt, you're all set. You know, I've never been to a restaurant like that where the price... Well, I actually have... Where the price wasn't on the menu. But <laughs> it, it's kind of like if you have to ask what's in the hot dog, uh-huh. you shouldn't be eating you
3: it. You shouldn't be eating it. Don't ask.
2: Just... just yeah snarf it down <laughs> that um you know i guess we're gonna i guess we're already preparing for armageddon we I are guess.
3: we're getting there yeah Man. but you know you, you'll be able to what do the rest of us do i guess we swim. just swim yeah well, we'll be out there you know fending for yeah. fending for food huh. I, I, if we're fending for food I, I just don't want to be alive i, don't I just either. hope you know it destroys me immediately
2: yeah it won't <laughs> <laughs> No,
3: if if the if the bomb is dropped, you're just going to go outside and start sniffing the air. Just yeah,
2: you know, take I'm just going to go so take it in, on. get this thing <laughs> get over, this with. over with, <laughs> carry your family out, oh. watch the mushroom cloud. <laughs> oh, that's scary. But
4: you know,
3: I'm, I think there's lots of billionaires out there that have you know to them that's probably pocket change, so they can afford it.
2: Yeah, but you would you want to be, be in a you know a five star resort or whatever we're calling this a five star?
3: Underground bunker. Underground
2: bunker mm-hmm. with a For bunch of billionaires. I
3: don't know.
2: Can you imagine how much, like, Grey Poupon they're all going to go through? <laughs> that is such that a, that's such a yeah, 70s scary. joke yeah. right there. There you go. Just pulled out a 70s joke. Well done, Kathy. No, sure. that Sure, the show took a dark turn right there. But uh, we're, we'll be fine. It's just Armageddon. Hey, um, coming up uh, next, Dr. Joseph Fishkin will be joining us. And we're going to be talking about... A new theory of equal opportunity. In the Democratic debate, you heard all about income inequality, but really the discussion might need to be more about opportunity equality and and what are some of the bottlenecks, the barriers that are keeping certain groups of people away from being able to have more opportunities and more income and more equality. Uh, Stick with us, folks. Interesting, interesting subject. Dr. Joseph Fishkin will be with us next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, what a fascinating guest, fascinating topic coming up. Equality, right? We, you believe in it. You believe in equal opportunity. There's a lot of debate going on. And with our nation, remember, it was founded on the desire to provide equal opportunities to every citizen. However, while that powerful idea of equal opportunity is out there, you know, the obtainability of this equality and equal opportunities for all, it it may not be as easily obtainable. And our guest, Dr. Joseph Fishkin, proposes in his book Bottlenecks a new theory of equal opportunity, a new way of looking at uh, maybe how we ought to be framing this discussion. And maybe it might change some of the rhetoric and even change some of the outcomes just simply by seeing the concept of equal opportunity a little differently. Dr. Joseph Fishkin is a professor at the University of Texas Law School, and he's here to join us now. Dr. Fishkin, thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks so much for having me. What a fascinating subject, because, I mean, it's it's a hot topic right now. Every presidential candidate's throwing out words and terms about equal opportunity. There's a lot of discussion going on. But you, in a way, you, you would suggest maybe we ought not even be using the words equal opportunity?
4: Well, I don't have a problem with us using the words. I think we mean a lot of different things when we say them. Some of the candidates and politicians who are using these phrases using because everyone agrees with the general concept. And the question is, what do you mean by it? I think um, we also all individually, we often mean different things by equal opportunity in different contexts. So if we're talking about college admissions or something like that, equal opportunity tends to have a kind of competitive meaning. You think of it in terms of debates about affirmative action and in terms of Legacies and athletes and all those kinds of questions, and who deserves to get a scarce thing in a competitive situation, but then equal opportunity in elementary school um uh, just you know move down a few grade levels, and all of a sudden, it doesn't really make sense to think of it as a competitive mm, situation. Right. We think about it much more in terms of well, what educational opportunities are we providing for these children? Uh, what kind of developmental opportunities do they have as a result of the different uh, classes that they're in and all that kind of stuff? And so it's, it seems like one idea, but actually when you move from one area to another, it, it changes shape a lot.
2: Mm. Is it possible, I guess? Um, in, in an article that was on Vox.com, there was a really good example of um, Oracle's Air, who's a movie producer named Megan Ellison – on her 25th birthday, Megan received um, a gift, I guess, a, a, an inheritance from her father, Larry Ellison, who's worth about $50 billion. But she in- inherited about $2 billion. Now, th- the idea of equal opportunity doesn't mean that Megan Ellison is going to, everyone's going to have the same opportunities as Megan Ellison, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. It
2: seems like we're not that, all getting 2 billion.
4: Right. And and there really isn't going to be any society in which unless unless a billion starts to mean a lot less than it does right. now. There's yeah. not going to be any society in which everybody gets 2 billion dollars right when they turn 25. So so I think you know that's an interesting example like a lot of the things that um that wealthier parents, even parents who are not Larry Ellison, you know, but who are just moderately wealthy. Right give their children a lot of advantages. You know, that's part of what parents do is they try to help their kids. And some of that is monetary, but a lot of it is, you know, where do we live so that you can go to a good school and um, paying for college and sometimes, you know, helping, helping out their 25-year-old child who wants to start a business, you know, uh, or at least – giving them a sense that if they fail, you know, they can always move back yeah. home and they'll be we're all right. we're here for you, you know? right. I mean, a lot of things that – there are a lot of advantages that make the opportunities that different people have, just as a practical matter, pretty unequal. Hmm. And I think a lot of people would say, well, sure, but, you know, we're not going to say to parents, you can't help your children, and we're not going to, um, you know – completely take away all those things that some parents are doing for their, for their children and that give their children some more opportunities. And And I think that's right. You know, we, we, um, as a society value equal opportunity, but we also value the liberty of, you know, parents to, um, do things that help their kids. And we can question how far that should go. So for example, maybe we should, um, have some policies that try to limit these effects, like we should, instead of having it be that only children of wealthy parents can go to fancy colleges, we should try to get the colleges yeah. to give out enough free tuition scholarships that um, that everyone and, can yeah. do it, or maybe the government can help provide some of that money. But, you know, um, we can limit it. But we can't make opportunities all the way equal unless we're willing to probably do things that we um, that we wouldn't
2: we don't want to yeah. accept.
4: You know, right. so, that's, so that's the basic problem that that sets up my book is that it's not just that opportunities are very unequal; they are very unequal. Um, sure. You know, in terms of if you're growing up poor in a poor school district and poor everything, you know, your chances are pretty limited uh you have to be very lucky and very good <laughs> yeah to get, to get out of there and be successful and of course some people do but you need you know kind of all the all the dots have to line up perfectly whereas if you start out with a lot of advantages um then you know you can even fail at a few things and probably you know, unless unless things go really badly, you're going to do well, mm. and so the life those life chances look really different. And the starting point of my book is that not only do they um, not only do they look different, they are different. But even if we had a lot of egalitarian policies that we don't have now, people's life chances still would be different um, because we're not going to go all the way to completely equal opportunity. Right. So then we have to decide. You know, what to do about that. What do we do about the fact that, um, that no matter what we do within the realm of plausible policies that we would like, it's going to still be that there are some inequalities.
2: And, and is that what you call the bottlenecks?
4: Well, so, so my proposal in the book is let's – instead of focusing on overall equality, which we're not going to get to, And which, anyway, it's a little hard to know what it is. Like, what if one kid has one kind of opportunity, someone else has some other kind of opportunity? You know, one kid's parents are, you know, um, techies and they teach programming. I know that was an example that the Vox article used that you are referring to. So, you know, yeah, it's a little hard to tell. Um, I think the more interesting question in some ways is not the overall equality and inequality, but rather what's actually holding people back from things? Mm. So I ask, what are the bottlenecks that you have to pass through in order to reach a wide range of opportunities, a wide range of paths that open up on the other side? So for instance, uh, one, one classic bottleneck in our society is speaking English. If you don't speak English, then the opportunities that you have are just really limited, a lot more limited uh, because, yes, there are various places where, you know, you can get pretty far with languages other than English, but basically it's really important. So That's
2: true. Huh? We could give people the rights. We could give them uh, even – we could give them opportunities and discrimination laws so we're not discriminating, but you still need to know English.
4: Right. Well, see, this is the problem. You know, we, we have – Laws against national origin discrimination. We have some anti-discrimination laws that actually do help out with people who, you know, um, are in jobs where you don't really need to speak English, and yet employers say, "Oh, you must." But the reality is, most jobs do require it right. as part of the job. You, know, yeah. you have to be good at the job, you know. So that's so that's the situation where I where I say, "Well, okay, here's a here's a clear bottleneck. What do we do about it?" I think you have to help people through the bottleneck and you have to help them around the bottleneck. So helping people through the bottleneck is providing more opportunities for people to learn English so that they can pass through. Helping them around the bottleneck means creating more paths because, you know, most jobs, but not every job, do you really need to be able to speak. Right. As as there are jobs where you don't. And so for those jobs where you don't, let's say, okay, you don't have to, you know? And yeah. that way you can have you know, from both directions, you, you make more paths open. And similarly, you know, another another big bottleneck um, in our society is, um, is educational diplomas, like a high school diploma, or often a college degree. But you you focus on the high school diploma, because that's a really pretty serious bottleneck, if you don't have a high school diploma, really large number of jobs, you just can't get. Yeah. Now, you know, why is that? Well, a lot of employers think you know, we've got to screen people out somehow. This is a reasonable thing to do. We're probably some of the people who drop out of high school are kind of, you know... they got have problems. They've a kind of problem yeah. or another. Right. So let's just screen them all. So fine. But um, the result of that is that a lot of people who could actually do a job well um, are screened out from getting to do it and or from getting to even really try out for it. And so... What I would propose, you know, in in terms of thinking about this as a bottleneck is this is a bottleneck we're making people pass through. So in order to loosen it, we should help people through the bottleneck by creating more opportunities to get high school credential, you know, even if you're more than eighteen and you need to go back and we you know, we do have some various things that let you do this. And at the same time, we need to think seriously about um some jobs that currently require this diploma credential really don't need to
6: mm, that's um, right,
4: and so you know you can open up some more opportunities for people um by having tests and ways of assessing applicants that are a little more specific to the job, such as come try out and see if you can do it yeah you know that's a classic method that arguably the best method in any job, but it can get kind of expensive um but you know where it's practical. By far, the best way to tell if someone can do a particular job well is to have some kind of thing where they where they try out for it and try to do the job oh, that's and fascinating that way you don't have to sort of have people stuck trying to get through these bottlenecks
2: mm-hmm. yeah, you know um I, I, I we'll come back we'll take a break and and come back and continue this discussion with Dr. Joseph Fishkin. I really want to get into uh is as as we're working our way through and around these bottlenecks. Are we lowering the bar? Is what I can hear so many people say. Yeah, you're just lowering the bar, but you're also you're also broadening and opening up the markets, and it seems like a brilliant way to to equalize, right, and equalize opportunities more with Dr. Joseph Fishkin on uh, a new paradigm around equal opportunity. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about equal opportunity. What does it really mean? You hear our politicians out there throwing these words out there, trying to, you know, I guess assume we all know what they're talking about. And uh, joining us is um, a professor from the University of Texas, Dr. Joseph Fishkin, is with us. He's a professor at the Texas Law School at the University of Texas. He's also the author of the book Bottlenecks, A New Theory of Equal Opportunity, And was a Fulbright Scholar at Oxford University where he got his doctorate of philosophy and politics degree. And um, he's here, I think, to enlighten us. I love this discussion, Dr. Fishkin, because we do. We take the words like we all know what equal opportunity means. And I think if we pushed it uh, hard enough, we'd realize in many regards it's not possible without losing so much freedom that it's not plausible but more importantly it might be important apparently to just go in and work on the bottlenecks that are keeping equality from so many people you've already mentioned too speaking english is one of them that we're going to have to deal with as a bottleneck and another one is educational kind of verification diplomas high school diplomas but uh, we welcome back Dr. Joseph Fishkin
4: Thanks Thanks so you know one of the um one of the interesting areas where this um Idea of a bottleneck, I think, has been in the news lately. Uh, that it might be useful example for us is um, criminal background. Right, people who have been in jail and have done their time and are now back in society and they're trying to find a job. Uh, because I think it's it's particularly hard to figure out exactly what it would mean to say, well, do they have equal opportunities or unequal opportunities? I mean, they did something wrong, you know, yeah. they got convicted. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not sure I'd go to the mat for saying. Well, so they should have exactly an equal opportunity to someone who didn't have a criminal conviction. But on the other hand, these across the board bans where you have whole companies and even states and various things that just say, you know, for any job, you know, you just can't be hired if you have any conviction, no matter how old uh, and no matter how small.
2: Yeah, no matter what the so offense, unfair, right?
4: No matter what the offense was, even if the offense was totally irrelevant. Yeah. You know, and what that does is it creates a very uh, strict bottleneck that, that makes it very difficult to, to kind of find your way out and back into society and mm. having a job and being a productive person. So is, I think, you know, you asked earlier, is it lowering the bar? Yeah,
2: I can hear people arguing, you're just lowering the bar. But right. It, right. what and is so- it really going on?
4: I think part of what we need to think about is it's, it's not about the bar going up or down. If you want to think about a bar, it's a question of setting a more specific bar for the particular job as opposed to a big general across-the-board right. bar yeah. that just bars people from doing anything except you know, very marginal jobs. So when you have people who are trying to reenter uh, society from having served their time in jail – I think it's a great example of, you know, it's not necessarily a question of that they should have an equal opportunity exactly to everybody else. They they're obviously not going to. People are gonna um, you know, probably treat them differently just because they have a couple years blank on their resume or mm-hmm. something else, you know. But some of the efforts that have been made in the past few years I think are very consistent with a focus on bottlenecks, like this effort to it's called ban the box. Which is to take away the checkbox on the initial application form that says, "Have you ever been convicted of a crime?" Um, and because what was happening was, you had some employers who had these forms and they had a question or a box that said, "Have you ever been convicted of a crime?" And if they said, if the applicant said, "Yes, I've been convicted of a crime," of course, you know that was in the past and that was this thing, minor thing, whatever. But the, they were just those applications were just getting thrown out. Right. Uh, whereas, if you instead say the employer is allowed to ask, and you know, person does have to be truthful about telling the employer as part of their application process about any past criminal conviction. But if you do it at the end instead of at the yeah. start,
2: then you've then you've actually got a taste of what they can bring to the company.
4: Right? You know you you see you see what whether you know you evaluate this person and you decide whether. They are, on balance, the best person for the job. And then, if you find out they have a past criminal conviction, you have to say, well, okay, you know, how serious a thing is it? Is it relevant to this hmm. workplace? Are we worried about this person because of this criminal conviction? If so, you can decide not to hire them after all. But if you've gotten this far, and then you think, yeah, you know, that probably doesn't change my decision. I'll probably still hire them. Then. It can have a huge effect, particularly for people who um, whose crimes are, you know, not the very most serious crimes.
2: Well, and I I look at places now, Colorado, where what was a crime, you know, smoking marijuana years ago, which a lot of people may have gotten in trouble so many times they are serving some serious time. Um, Now it's not. So, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't serve the purpose maybe that it. It used to,
4: or that they perceived think, it did. Right. We have to think what the purpose of the punishment is anyway. I mean, surely the goal has something to do with getting the person to not, you know, behave wrongly and instead be a better upstanding member of society. And if we want that to happen, we have to have some way for them to get a job. So if we want... Um, the results of our criminal system to not have these endless ramifications out in the employment system, then we need to think about the way something like that is acting as a bottleneck. Mm.
2: Do do you see um, issues? Because another uh, issue I hear a lot about with equal opportunity is gender equality, um, or also just uh, r- racial and minorities. Are there what I mean? These every one of these I, I can already see would apply maybe unevenly, right, to minority groups um, speaking English, yeah, things like that.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. There there are ways that these uh, that various bottlenecks interact. I think you can think of in, in my book. I argue that we can think of discrimination on a particular ground like race or gender. As itself being a kind of bottleneck. So it's easier to see it if you go back in time a little bit when there was even more of it. So Mm -hmm. there's a fair amount of discrimination still today. But if you think about what it was to be, you know, a woman in the 1950s, then it becomes really obvious how it works as a bottleneck. The idea is If you are a woman, you're only supposed to do this certain narrow range of jobs and you're really funneled into kind of a role in the home and not a role at work. And then there are a few jobs that are sort of reserved for women, maybe like um, nursing and elementary school teaching, and men who want to do those jobs are kind of not able to get through the bottleneck because they're the wrong gender Hmm. for the job, but mostly it's affecting women. And today still, I think, uh, you know, social psychologists and sociologists who study this stuff still see a fair amount of discrimination going on um, in terms of we just think of certain jobs as kind of male jobs and certain jobs as female jobs. And so we, we steer people. It's like if you're not the right gender, it's harder to get through that Bottleneck to get that job if you wanted it, and you may never even form the ambition to want it because mm-hmm. you know it's not really for you know you. Yeah. So I think it's really important to figure out um, different strategies for overcoming that. And I think there is also the interaction that you were saying where some bottlenecks affect one group yeah. more than another. So like you have- might even be
2: using it seems like you might be needing you might be using um, criminal convictions. As a way to subtly discriminate against minorities from getting a job in your company
4: right that is that is possible uh, that can happen and um, at the same time um, there are you know there there are people who make the counterintuitive argument that it's important to not keep the information completely from employers mm-hmm. about criminal convictions because some of them if they're not allowed to know who has a criminal conviction, they might make racist assumptions about who does. And that might spur more
2: well, to that. That's true. huh? Yeah. You know, it
4: kind of can go either way. It's a very interesting, you know, that kind of is But I think um, it's true that the kind of the big forms of unequal opportunity in our society, which a lot of them are still around, things like um race and gender and class as well, although our law doesn't say much about class. It's actually, sociologically, it's a big area where there's discrimination against people who seem poor. Um, the way that those that those things become bottlenecks in our society is through a lot of different mechanisms in different parts of the society adding up together. So, you know, why is race still such a big factor? Some of it is employers' discriminating intentionally or unintentionally. Some of it is a lot of things that happen before the stage of employment. So the schools that we have, um, you know, black and right. white students going to are pretty different. Um, and they're, you know, a lot of the inequalities of opportunity happen at earlier stages. Part of the argument in my book is that we're not going to fix the problem of unequal opportunity with kind of one big intervention at one stage. Yeah. It's such a sort of up and down the, the chain problem that we have to think about smaller interventions at a lot of different stages that can hopefully add up to ameliorating the problem. Yeah. It
2: won't just be a uh, you know, Supreme Court decision. Absolutely. It's going Absolutely. to be a lot of these these, uh, I guess, bottlenecks being loosened, being narrow or being widened. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And and workarounds created so that and much
4: it, of it is I mean, some of it is is by various parts of the government, federal and state government. But most of it, I think, is not most of it has to be um, work that is done uh, by. You know every different actor in society whose actions shape the opportunity structure, which we all do. Yeah. Um, not only as you know, if we hire somebody as an employer, but also, I mean, part of the part of the opportunity structure is um, go, goes down to who you know and interact with. I mean, as people are growing up, they get their ideas about what they would want to do sure. when they grow up, who they'd want to be from. From who they need and from who they know, so it gets very, I think, diffuse. Uh, I think the government has a big role to play in fixing the problem, but I think many different kinds of actors have to
2: have to play a role. And uh, just as we wrap up, just me, average Joe, middle America. Um, as I think about it, just what can I do to influence my neighbors, my friends, my kids to decrease some bottlenecks in my neck of the world, right, and and increase opportunity structure for others? Anything right, specific yeah, just for me terrific, or just the average that's a guy?
4: terrific question. This is a terrific question. I think, um, you know, while I would certainly not suggest forgetting about politics and the fact that you vote and right. you can influence the larger course of things in terms of in terms of your own life I would just think about um, the opportunities that um, that you know your own children have and that other people have their other people's children have and try to find ways um, which can be small um, that you can open up some uh horizons for people who are uh maybe not as lucky as you are yeah. to see some paths that they wouldn't otherwise have seen or to take the first steps down them it can take a lot of different forms it can it can be as simple as um you know conversations about the future uh conversations that can help people understand what you have to do in order to go along and be um some particular career later in life. It can be um it can have to do with just trying to forge some connections so that they're so that you have some friendships that cross yeah. lines of neighborhood and class and things like that um or you know thinking about gender you can in your own life try to help um Try to help model not following the usual mm-hmm. roles that everybody may still think you have to follow, but try to you know help your daughters and sons see that you can um, that there are more paths in life than that. there are more options for them. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but I think it's it's the right way to think about it, sort of what um, what bottlenecks are really constraining the lives. The directions that the the people around me um, could go, and then just thinking about how you can loosen those a little bit. Yeah,
2: no, I love that, and I think you're I think you're right on. We we have to draw a bigger circle, and uh, we we need to deal with the bottlenecks, and maybe even clarify our language too. I think, which is so important. Doctor Joseph Fish, can we appreciate you and the great work you're doing there um, in? helping us rethink with a new theory of equal opportunity. Everybody go check out the book bottlenecks, a new theory of equal opportunity. And I just challenge all of us to go out there and look in your own world, broaden your own view of what women can and should do and get in, instruct your kids, teach your kids to reach out and draw bigger circles. The The, the more we can be inclusive. I truly believe the more we elevate the entire humanity. So So much uh, to learn and so appreciate Dr. Joseph Fishkin from uh, Texas Law School, University of Texas Law School. Great stuff, man. It's good to be alive, isn't it? This is a cool time. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break, come back, do a quick little wrap up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. friends to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you think about your life and your approach to politics, to policy, to what's fair for everyone else, um, just think about the opportunities you've had. We we have a lot of, you know, disparity in some situations in this country of, I mean, imagine being raised by parents who have never gone to college. They've never gone to college. They've never even thought of going to college or they have, uh, they have a language barrier. And all of a sudden, I'm somehow supposed to go get into a university system and understand how to get funding, understand how to you know, get through the process of learning, understand a completely different process and system. And then all of a sudden we we you know some of us just sit there and yell and say oh come on they've got the chance the same chance I had well they don't have the same chance you had if they don't speak the language well yeah but they should learn the language well, okay sure and the assumption there is that how do you do that well you just take a class oh okay well there's a system you got to go figure out how to go do and in some cases pay for Or in some cases, get transportation to. So, I mean, it's really easy to just throw out quick answers. And we hear it with our politicians left and right. But it's it's important to also understand the obstacles that are in place, the bottlenecks that uh, Dr. Joseph Fishkin was talking about. If we don't remove the bottlenecks, we can just bet on the fact that we'll keep having the same problems. So... Again, back to the age old issue that we talk about, I think, every week on this show. Issues are complex. They're more complex than they seem. We're seeing that right now with the president now saying we're going to end up staying in Afghanistan through 2017, which means the next president is going to deal with the Afghanistan issue. Obama said he would have it taken care of by 2014, it was a campaign promise, he'd end it by 2014. By the way, interesting little irony, it was not mentioned at all in the Democratic debate. Weird. Weird. Now, that, the Republican debate, that would have been all over the debate, right? Afghanistan and the president pulling troops out of Iraq too early. So notice, we are so polarized in our own country and in our own discussions that we probably don't ever look at the real complexity. So one party may see, say we need equal, equal income, equal opportunity, equal pay, and it's a complex issue, and the other pooh poos it and won't even mention it in their debate. And yet another party will talk all about the war, foreign relations. Folks, these are real problems that we're facing, all of them. All of these problems, they're they're issues that are complex. They need to be resolved. And I think as soon as we, as the voters, start thinking about it with more complexity and understanding the bigger issue, I think we can then push on our legislators. It shouldn't always have to be the other way around. Someone else other than the big companies and big money organizations need to be pushing – On the thinking of our politicians. So I challenge you to go do that. By the way, next hour, we're going to have a great topic on uh, conflict resolution and a healthier way to do that. So if you want to learn more skills about that, stick with us. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show, hoping to give you the tools and the information you need to grow a healthier, happier life. Stick with us. We'll be back next hour with more ideas. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Your
1: guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on
2: BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can on the show to give you the tools to live longer, love stronger, Lead a healthier, happier life. Happy days to you. Today, by the way, uh, Conflict Resolution Day. This is the day that Ben and I will hammer out our differences. Ben, are you excited? Today's the day. Ben's overwhelmed with excitement. And uh, today, by the way, Conflict Resolution Day, it's a global event and it was intended to promote the concept of peaceful conflict resolution. And uh, which heaven knows this world needs crazy stuff going on all over the world. Um, and, in fact, Joe Cannon on Monday brought up uh, this, these stabbings that are going on all over Israel. That's just out of the blue. People just will stab you. But it's, it's more of the Palestinian-Iranian-Israeli uh, um, tension. Instead of blowing people up now, just stabbings. And then Israel takes recourse, saying, you will not get the bodies back of the people that we kill in these events. Not getting them back, or we'll come destroy your house. And so tension that we need more conflict resolution, don't we? In fact, by the way, today, great guest Diane Hamilton will be joining us. And she is um, going to be talking to us about kind of the mix of mediation and meditation. She is a mediator and a Zen, kind of a Zen practitioner. She's a meditation expert and teacher. And she's here today. Uh, she'll be on the phone with us talking about her book, Everything is Workable, A Zen Approach to Conflict Resolution, which heaven knows we need. Or we could just call another committee. Uh, like we're seeing with the Benghazi committee. In fact, a new congressman has come out. The second Republican congressman has now admitted that, yeah, it's pretty much, it's not politically correct, he said. But I think there there was a big part of this investigation that was designed to go after an individual, Hillary Clinton. That was Representative Richard Hanna said that on a morning radio show in upstate New, New, New York. So they're either, they're either... You know, just being super honest, which we should really appreciate from all of our politicians, because now that's too. Uh, House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy came out last week or a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember basically saying, oh, yeah, it's it's improved the ratings. Don't don't tell me the Benghazi thing hasn't worked. Hillary Clinton's ratings have slipped. <sighs> we need a better way, folks, to handle conflict. And uh, that's just in the political arena. We, we really need it in our personal lives as well, too. So if you have an issue that uh, you want to learn how to talk out with somebody you care about, stick with us throughout the show. In just a few minutes, we'll uh, be bringing Diane on to talk about that.
3: What <sighs> if you, you switch professions and you became a... You eased conflicts in politics instead of marriage. Would you like that?
2: No. No? because Is see, that worse? See, marriage, you, you seem to have a vested interest uh-huh. to fix it. But in... Politics, you don't because if you change your mind, like Hillary's said, they're all asking her, why did you flip-flop on mm-hmm. so many issues? She's like, well, I've got I got more information now. Yeah, there you go. But uh, that's going to tick off certain people. So everyone in the middle of the game is not going to like Hillary now because she flip-flopped kind of more liberal. Uh-huh. The liberals are now loving her, the progressives. But anyway, she'll have to flip back I guess. So there's not a vested interest to change. Yeah. Isn't that sad? That is sad. So I think it's too hard. I think we as people just need to get our heads and say no more. We're not <laughs> doing it. We need to find our minds and just say, OK, we've got to start leading these politicians.
4: Right. That's you what, start. You
3: need to start the whole thing. I
2: and mean, let's start a rebellion. Yeah, let's do it. A rebellion for healthier dialogue and discourse. Should I make T-shirts? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's we'll start with bumper stickers. Let's start small. <laughs> okay. Let's do, we don't have a huge budget, but let's start small. Bumper stickers and I want a lot of memes. Okay, yes. Okay. I, I love memes. Do you want them- I Get a bunch of memes out there.
1: With your face or politicians' faces mm. or just a mix?
2: Let's just use my face. Okay. <laughs> Put Kathy's face <laughs> no, on it too. No,
3: that's okay.
2: Kathy's got I a like great face for memes wow. and bumper stickers.
3: Yeah.
2: No. Oh, you want to stay out of it, don't you, Yes, Kathy? I do. But we can't. We Today's Conflict Resolution Day. We are going to resolve the conflict okay. that we call the American political process. Let's do it. Major conflict. Ah. Anyway, great uh, day today. But first... Let's go to the person with no conflict that only None. brings peace yes, and light.
3: World peace. Kathy Aiken. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. President Obama promised to end the Afghan war during his presidency, but apparently that won't be happening. The president is expected to announce today he's dropping his plans to withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan since Afghan security forces are unable to fend off the Taliban and other insurgents. The U.S. has just under 10,000 troops there currently, and Obama will reportedly reduce that number to around 5,500. The U.S has been in Afghanistan since 2001. Two parents face first-degree manslaughter charges after two of their sons were beaten at the Word of Life Church in New York. The boys were reportedly beaten for several hours. They would, they would confess their sins and ask for forgiveness. A 19-year-old was killed and a 17-year-old brother is in serious condition. The parents, Bruce and Deborah Leonard, are being held on $100,000 bail. Sources say former NBA player Lamar Odom is on a ventilator in a Las Vegas hospital and after suffering a stroke and possible brain damage. A new report says Odom took cocaine along with herbal Viagra at a Nevada brothel where he was found unconscious on Tuesday. Tuesday night's Democratic debate on CNN averaged just over 15 million viewers, according to the Nielsen ratings. While that was a new record for Democratic debate, it fell far short of the second GOP debate on that same network that had 23 million people watching. Most pundits declared Hillary Clinton the big winner on Tuesday, but GOP presidential contender Donald Trump said if she's the nominee, Hillary would be easy to beat.
4: I watched Hillary last night with, we're going to give this, we're going to give that, we're going to give that. She's the poor woman. She's got to give everything away because
5: this maniac that was standing on her right is giving everything away. So she's
4: following. I call him a socialist slash communist, okay, because that's what he is. So then you see her stand up and she goes, oh, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to do that too. I'm going to do that because he's got to win because she's not doing so well. And in a head-to-head poll, they just did that. I beat her by five or six points. I love it. I love it!
3: Trump currently leads the GOP with 24% in the latest Fox News poll. That's just 1% above Ben Carson. At least nine homes have been destroyed by a wildfire in central Texas. The blaze is 10% contained and has grown to more than three square miles, prompting the evacuation of nearly 200 homes. The blaze in Bastrop County is 30 miles east of Austin. The same area was the scene of the worst wildfire in state history back in 2011 when more than 1,200 homes were lost. Olympic sprinter Oscar Pistorius has spent 10 months behind behind bars after being convicted of culpable homicide in the shooting death of his girlfriend. But South Africa's Department of Corrections announced Pistorius can leave prison on Tuesday and move to house arrest. Pistorius was acquitted of murder, but prosecutors have appealed that decision and will seek a murder conviction at South Africa's Supreme Court on November 3rd. Pistorius was originally sentenced to five years in prison. Both the Kansas City Royals and Toronto Blue Jays rallied to win last night, and will now move on to meet each other in the American League Championship Series. Tonight, we'll find out who will meet the Cubs in the NLCS beginning Saturday. The Dodgers host the Mets in Game 5 in L.A. And Matt, are you a Mexican food person? See, sí. Si. Sí, sí, I sí. love sí, Mexican señorita. food. Oh. Okay, well, we've got a contest for you. Okay, okay. You ready? Yeah, yeah. If you can eat a 30-pound burrito or the size of a toddler— you can win 10% ownership of a restaurant in Brooklyn called Don Ching Chingon.
2: Well, part, I think that's how you said it. Come again?
3: Don Chingon.
2: Chingon. So the burrito Ching-yong.
3: is made of steak, chicken, pork, rice, and beans. But the catch, you have to eat it within an hour yeah. without any bathroom breaks oh. or discharge of bodily fluids. That's the key. Ooh. The restaurant will also not accept responsibility for illness or death while participating. <laughs> By the way, the current burrito eating record, can you guess? Take a guess.
2: The current – how many they ate of these? Yeah, the current –
3: how big, the biggest burrito ever eaten.
2: well, 20 pounds. 14. Oh, that is disgusting. By Joey Chestnut, you know, the guy that wins all the hot dog eating contests. And he's a tiny guy.
3: Yeah, he's tiny. The the normal burrito at this restaurant, I guess, is about a pound. And the restaurant owner said only about a quarter of his customers can't even finish that. So 30-pound burrito in less than an hour, and you have 10% of a restaurant.
2: But you know what? You lost me the minute you compared it to a toddler. <laughs> did you compare it to a toddler? Yeah, I
3: did. That's what they called it, the size of a toddler. <sighs> 30 pounds, that's a good-sized toddler.
2: But the toddler is not in the burrito. Let's get the this The toddler,
3: clear. no part of the toddler is in the burrito. It <laughs> no is steak, toddlers chicken, were harmed pork, in rice, the making of yes, this burrito. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, but you have but to apparently pay $150. a cow bucks. and a chicken and a pig were, yeah. definitely, were definitely harmed.
2: Um, I would never do it because, A, uh, and I love a burrito, mm-hmm. but um, I don't want to die. <laughs> Thank you. Also, B, number two, I don't want anyone else to die after I ate a 30-pound burrito. Very good. Because I would explode. (laughs) That is not – that just shows you where America has gone.
3: Yeah. Crazy, huh?
2: Like he wants you to die. He wants you to die and he wants to watch it happen.
3: Well, he knows there's no opportunity for you to do that since the record is just over 14 pounds, you know. (laughs) So double that. Yeah, no chance.
2: No just, chance. You know, just a PR stunt. But like, just think of thirty pounds of weight in, in your one gut. Sitting. Would
3: that be horrible? You would explode, I think.
2: Like, seriously.
3: I mean, you can't even eat that over. I don't think a twenty-four hour period, let alone an hour.
2: I once, I once watched a boa constrictor on YouTube oh, eat no. a porcupine.
3: He did not. Oh, he did. <laughs> it wasn't a porcupine. It was a
2: porcupine. <laughs> and guess who won?
3: I would guess the porcupine. The porcupine one. Yeah, that wouldn't feel too good going down.
2: Yeah. Well, they're easy to get down, they're hard to get out. (laughs) Once they're in, they're not coming out. You're stuck. But it's totally, it's a video. Go look it up. I'm going to. Bowl eats porcupine. So sad.
3: Is that it, Ben?
2: Ben's Did looking it up. It? It's real, oh, and, and they there eventually have to. It kills. It kills the python. Oh, it's a python, and then it kills the python, and then. Well, the, qu- well, the
3: quills kind of sticking out uh-huh. of the python, yeah.
2: And then you have to actually you have to cut. They had to they cut open the the python, and they found the porcupine. porcupine.
3: And it was still alive or dead?
2: Wouldn't that have been funny if it had just shook off and then <laughs> walked away? <laughs> no, the porcupine, I believe, was dead. It was
3: dead. Okay,
2: but. Ugh, that's what happens when you eat a 30-pound burrito. I would just suggest to everybody, don't do that. Don't do
3: it. Or you'll Stick die. Stick with a pound, one-pound mm-hmm. burrito. I mean, sure. I, I, I get a 10-pound burrito. I get yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't throw who doesn't one of those that? down yeah.
2: every weekend? <laughs> but, a uh, yeah.
3: 30-pound, no way.
2: Yeah, that's crazy. Anyway, good stuff, Kathy. Good stuff. Hey, um, coming up next, everything is workable. Have you ever had a conflict, a, a discussion, an issue, something you couldn't solve or resolve with another person? Well, a conflict resolution expert is going to be joining us in just a few minutes. Diane Hamilton, uh, the author of the book of Everything is uh, everything is Workable, she'll be joining us and she's going to help us learn how to mix, you know, meditation, the practice, and the learnings of meditation with mediation. Notice they have the same root. And so what if there is some connection between being a good meditator Is that a word? Meditator and being a good mediator. Two interesting words. We're going to be talking with Diane Hamilton after the break. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever witnessed or been a part of a riff-roaring argument, you know, where passions are high on both sides and both sides are simultaneously in the right and in the wrong? Have you ever tried to step in and, you know, maybe act as the mediator? It's not an easy task, is it? But it's the life of our guest today, and it's what she does day in, day out. Diane uh, Musho Hamilton-Sensei is a professional mediator and teacher of Zen, she is the author of Everything is Workable, A Zen Approach to Conflict Resolution, and she joins us now on the phone to help us uh, understand better how to resolve conflict. Welcome to the show, Miss Hamilton. Are you there? Diane, are you there? Having a little trouble getting Diane uh, on the phone. Oh, Diane, are you there? Yes, I'm
0: here. Oh, there
2: you are. How are you, Diane?
0: I'm just fine. I don't know why. Sorry about that. Oh,
2: that's okay. No, we were just, it was, you were probably just somewhere lost up in the ether somewhere. <laughs> okay, well, I'm on the ground now. You're back. You're back. Hey, first off, it's great to have you here. Um, you are, today, by the way, and I'm sure you know this, Conflict Resolution Day. That's
6: what I understand. This is the big day. Yeah, big day. This is
2: a big day. Now, you have you have a really strong uh, background. You've been a practitioner of mediation for more than 25 years now and you 've been the Director of the Office of Alternative Dispute Resolution for the Utah Judiciary, but teach us about um about how because you don 't just do mediation i 'm a mediator i 've been a mediator, and yet it's yours you add a lot of other i think powerful principles you kind of take a Zen approach to conflict resolution. How did that all come together for you
0: well i i've always been interested in in helping people get along, because I've always needed a little help getting along myself. I'm a little bit hot-tempered and kind of fiery, so it was kind of important to me growing up to sort of figure out, you know, what could I do to actually listen and make contact with people in a real way. And then I learned how to meditate when I was in my early 20s, and I realized that meditation and mediation are very similar. Meditation, when you sit down and quiet your mind, you're really kind of coming into wholeness with your experience, yeah. becoming one, if you will. And whenever we're mediating, we're bringing two divergent points of view into one. So it's the same kind of, you know, the same impulse to kind of create this uh, continuity and a sense of peace in your life.
2: Do you see um, – We it seems like as a culture, as a country, we've become very polarized, you know, in a lot of the things we see um, on television with our politics and um, – just i think i think lifestyles everything seems to be so polarized but yeah. really the 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 need of this country and of all i think humans is to be able to take two disparate ideas and find a way to bring them together
0: yeah precisely if you look at there's nothing wrong with polarity wherever there's two there's tension and that tension can be creative or that tension can be you know destructive or aggressive Uh, polarity becomes a problem when you try to get rid of one end of the spectrum. Hmm. If you work with the... opposition, but you find a way to creatively weave, then, you know, we can get somewhere creative, which is more durable in the, in the long run. And you do hear people in political positions saying we need to be able to reach across the aisle. And I think that's really true. It's only when we take a position that the other side is absolutely wrong and can never be right, that we, we try to exile their perspective completely out of the room. It just doesn't work.
2: Well, and it seems to make it worse, right? Because if you're going to just try to sh- hush my voice, yeah. or, or cr- crush life my life. idea, I'm going to just use that energy to get you. Absolutely. And <clears> we,
0: we see that over and over in conflicts that just simply won't go away. You know, they just people, the. it escalates, it gets worse, but it doesn't, it never resolves until people actually make a decision to try to work it through.
2: And, and then it, what's so interesting is, uh, and we've even seen it in, in a variety of different issues, but forever forever people were pushing against uh you know kind of the lgbt movement and pushing and pushing and and basically trying to just eradicate the idea just eliminate the idea mm-hmm. tension grows tension grows and then um and this is what i saw in in marriage mediation and divorce is eventually the courts can then rule and the courts rule and create a, a law i guess or make it legitimate and then all of a sudden the other side is just supposed to now feel good about it and accept it, but they've been fighting against it. So then that just creates tension even though we've had an agreement that's legally imposed or, or placed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It gets it gets tricky in terms of social policy and what's what's legal and what isn't legal. Right. One, one way to think about it is that in our – you know, one of the great things about the, the West and particularly the United States is that, er, that we put a huge emphasis on individual rights. So we really want everybody to have their truth and their opinion and their perspective. But the problem is, is we don't teach people how to work with the fact that everybody has an opinion and a perspective. Right. So we grant the right, but we don't give anyone the skills to work with that. You know, we're not uh, run by a dictator. We're not uh, just a completely ideological, homogenized society. So therefore, if everybody's going to have an opinion, we all need to actually learn how to work with the fact that everybody has an opinion. Mm
2: -hmm. And I see it like in the marriage mediation, um, you know, at some point, why mediation would work better than, I guess, litigation is because we we both have a chance now to do this together Uh so that we can both buy into the outcome.
0: That's right. And usually what happens when you sit down with two people, particularly people in a marriage or who know each other, who've been in business before, you find out that people have way more in common than they do uh, not in common. And so you really, you know, in a mediation process, we try to get people's genuine wants and needs out on the table. We find that, you know, nine out of 10, they basically agree to. And then what, you know, what kind of creative ideas can we get? over this one stumbling block. But you have to really build this sense that there's way more, just, just like in culture in the United States, we have way more in common than we do differently oh, yeah. in terms of the political party.
2: But then we yeah. spend all of our energy on the part the we difference. don't agree on, right? Absolutely. And then even in our disagreement, and we share our disagreements, like if I could honestly understand something I disagree with, mm-hmm. even in that disagreement, I'll find out even 80% of that I agree with
0: yeah yeah absolutely.
2: So it just that's becomes right. more and more finite doesn 't it? finite yeah, when I, mean. I
0: you you really talk with people people basically want health and well being and people want everyone fundamentally to be well off i mean it 's a very small, small group of people that are hate mongers. there are a few are yeah. out there. they want people to be dis- destroyed there 's a destructive impulse, but the vast majority of people really would kind of prefer if everybody had what they needed and everybody got
7: along.
2: Mm. Why is it do you sense that we Um, that polarity brings the tension? Why is it that we as humans are more inherently prone to have conflict and tension in disagreement instead of just inherent peace?
0: Well, I think that, you know, in, in, In our world and in in our relationships and in reality itself, we have all of that, which is the same, and we have the difference. And the sameness is what creates continuity. It's peace. It's togetherness. It's coherence. The difference is exciting. It's what creates change. It's what moves culture. It's what generates excitement. If you and I started to have a fight right now, everybody would perk up. Oh, yeah. They'd listen. Yeah, so differences differences have their role. The problem is is that we don't generally know how to work with them. We don't know how to capture the excitement and the stimulation and really tolerate it in order to kind of get to the next place of sameness that integrates that difference. I always say that the, that the harmony that comes from integrating difference is greater than the harmony that doesn't include difference.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's true. It's a lower – it's kind of a – yeah, it's like compromise or it's like – yeah. Yeah, it's, it's
0: imposed conformity, uh-huh.
2: kind of. Yeah. yeah, it's when I think about it, um, there's there's principles, and I know I'm sure you've pulled out of your Zen practices um, a lot of principles that will help us in this process. Mm-hmm. Give us give us one of them, and then we'll take a break, and then I want you to teach us what are some of the what are some of the tools, the principles, the rules mm-hmm. of Zen that might help us manage mm-hmm. the conflict better
0: okay great um i would I would say the first rule is is we have to ask ourselves, do we- be- genuinely believe that there there's more than one way to see something? Do we genuinely believe that there's more than one perspective and that those perspectives may not be totally true, but there could be a grain of truth in it? Mm. We have to challenge ourselves to really ask that. Some people will say no so thats that's the first thing you've got to ask yourself, do you think someone else legitimately could have a different point of view from you?
2: yeah. That's – because they could have a different point of view from you and they – it could – even if it's obviously unhealthy or inappropriate, it could still be truth for them.
0: Yeah, that's right. And and it may – as I said, it may not be totally true or it may be a lesser truth. But how we have to be able to accord somebody – even when I was trained in, uh, as an undergraduate, we would talk about working with psychotic people and finding a way, even with someone who's, who's living in kind of a reality of their own, what, how could we find a way to legitimize their experience, hmm. even if it isn't agreed upon by anybody else, because they're, they're suffering that point of view. So if you can't find some truth in it, you cannot possibly mediate.
2: Yeah. Yeah, cuz it's almost like you can't turn off their their lack of trust in you. Until until you can go with them a mile and walk yeah. in their shoes, they yeah. won't trust that you're yeah. really into this.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good way to say it. It's an old adage. You yeah. know, walk just walk a mile or even just take a couple steps. Yeah.
2: Just try on the shoe. Yeah,
0: just try them on. For <laughs> it's, a
2: it's just like, you know, it's like a trip to the mall. Hey, yeah, exactly. um we're talking with Diane Hamilton, author of the book Everything is Workable. A Zen Approach to Conflict Resolution. We're going to come back and continue this discussion about how you can open up your head, your heart, how you can find peace and understand the views of another while creating some conflict resolution and and getting some progress in our relationships. More with Diane Hamilton right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Friends to the Matt Townsend Show. So how do you work through conflict with another person? And how, how do you open yourself up to hearing what they're saying without being offended, without having to react to it? Do you have the ability, the power to hear it and not have to react to it? Joining us is Diane Hamilton. Um, Diane is the author of the book, Everything is Workable, A Zen Approach to Conflict Resolution. She has been uh, focusing on conflict resolution and alternative dispute resolution for years. And um, when you think about it, folks, this is everywhere, right? This this can be, I mean, not everything turns into a major conflict, but our most important relationships, they eventually can and do... Uh, need to have some conflict resolution skills so welcome back diane so honored to have you on the show
0: yeah i'm so happy to be here matt thanks again
2: you bet this is a fun topic for me when when i, I just see it with my clients i see it in my own life how do i turn off my reaction because mm-hmm. that to me is where you're you kind of have found the perfect niche of of meditation of zen practices mm-hmm. and um, conflict resolution. How do I turn off that fight or flight?
0: Well, exactly. So you just nailed it. So everybody who's listening knows that we have this fight or flight system in our body and that when we hear a perspective that disagrees with ours, ours for some reason, our body, our old, the old part of our brain experiences it as a threat. And as soon as we start to feel that threat, we start to produce adrenaline Cortisol, And all of a sudden we start getting bathed in these um, hormones that are really preparing us for fight or flight. Hmm. So the question is, how do I stay and listen to somebody when my body is telling me I should get up and run or my body should yeah. say, no, you need to stop. And so the, the trick is to realize that to listen to someone else doesn't mean you agree. So this is the first thing, because people think that if I if I actually listen to what you have to say, you're going to think that I agree with you. Right. So you have to give yourself permission to listen and to let those sensations be in the body, but really learn how just to stay present and try to listen even though you feel that way. And basically over time, we talk about creating new neural pathways in the brain. So what happens is that as you learn to do that, the older part of who you are starts to learn how to calm down and be connected to what we call the prefrontal cortex which is where your your thoughts are and your rationality and then pretty soon there's actually a circuit between that fight or flight impulse and the part of you that's actually able to sit there and listen
2: and then it becomes that's a habit
0: and that becomes a habit absolutely
2: so, so now i can i can sit and do it isn't it amazing though that that fight or flight instinct was to make sure i wasn't you know eaten by a tiger right. and yet now it's it's going off in me when my wife's like can we talk <laughs> eh, eh, run, run! The run, tigers run. out. Yeah,
0: yeah. Your hands, your palms start to sweat. Uh-huh. Your heartbeat increases. Your your neck gets red. You know, <laughs> you feel your throat tighten. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like somebody just a you know the wrong glance. Yeah. And it's just my wife. That. Yeah, no, it's wild.
2: <laughs> Relax, Matt. What? Yeah, take it easy. Uh, what I found too is um, if when I work with clients. Just pointing out the fact that you're starting – I call it being hijacked – that you're starting to be, be run by your fight-or-flight brain, yep. Yep. your amygdala. Um, just yep. noticing the pattern might help you sit in it because – and then I also noticed that if I can get them to be listening in order to then be able to show the person that I'm hearing them.
0: Yep, exactly.
2: That actually yes. takes me out of my fight-or-flight brain and puts me into my higher brain.
0: Yes just the right. act
2: itself of me listening and knowing I'm going to have to show you I heard what you said.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have to actually speak and use that part of my brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is is that it, it's it's tr- it's an old tried and true method, but but the uh, the physiologists tell us this that if you actually if you relax the breath and you create more rhythm in the breath and you make it smooth like you're sipping through a straw, literally your brain stops producing Cortisol or the stress hormone almost immediately. Really? So as soon as you regulate the breath, Boom. All of a sudden, those hormones stop being dripped into your system. And once they're in there, my understanding is it takes almost 20 minutes yeah. for those to go out of your system.
2: Right. In fact, I've even it's heard men- what, if they draw your blood, you could have elevated levels of adrenaline for 24 hours after an yeah. event.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so physiology turns out to be a big, important part of communication skills is learning how to work with our physiology.
2: who to thunk it? I just, Not me. I thought the whole problem was my wife.
0: Well, there is that. Yeah, it's no, it's my husband. It's
2: your husband. Oh, is it your husband? Yeah. Okay, yeah, we got to get them he together. The
0: real problem. That's
2: right. It's a. Uh, it, but that's the. I guess that's the next problem, right? Is the minute I think the problem is outside of me, mm-hmm. that messes me up too.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because the minute you think the problem's outside of you, you lose power to be able to solve the problem. Mm. What so do when you, you keep it in your own sphere, or at least part of it in your own sphere? You have more power.
2: Yeah, you don't want to give up that power. But we do that all the time by blaming the other and reacting to the other.
0: Yeah, precisely. We give our power away by not not saying, okay, what is there that I can do? How can I participate in in solving this problem?
2: You know, it's what's amazing is the simple idea of okay, let's go have a conversation and when we're having it, focus on your breath. Mm -hmm. Like just that idea is that's that could be life changing.
0: Has been for me. I was desperate. I mean, I learned these skills because I needed them. As I said, I just was born a hothead.
2: Have you cooled down that head?
0: Well, not really, but I I wouldn't say I've cooled it down so much, but it's just that I can cool it down and I Mm. recover really fast.
2: That's that's emotional intelligence. That's good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I
4: practiced.
2: And it's probably kept you married and employed.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. and,
2: And off the most wanted list. Right?
4: Which I was headed for.
2: The trifecta. <laughs>
0: Absolutely.
2: Hey, um, talk about what happens when what I'm hearing I really, really don't like. And it's like against my values. So what you're saying you want in this relationship or in this deal
7: mm-hmm.
2: is totally against my values.
0: Well, then, then we want to use something like a ref- what we call a reframe. So I was in a mediation session one time, and after the session I got a call from one of my clients, and she called me up and said, I'm unhappy with your services because I think you're flirting with my husband. <laughs> and I okay. thought, oh, my gosh, seriously? And then instead of saying to her, I'm not flirting with him, you're the one who married him, instead of saying something like that, I thought, well, wait, what, what? what is she seeing? Like what's right about what she's seeing? How can I frame it? How can I, you know, talk about it in a way that – that I don't feel kind of like I'm doing something wrong and bad. Right. But I said, you know, I think if, I, if I've if i got it right, I think maybe what's happening is that I'm being playful with him because I notice that when I tease him and I'm playful, that he actually is able to negotiate better. He relaxes. He relaxes. So I think what you're seeing is my attempt to make contact and engage him in a playful way. Mm. And when I said that, she was like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. So flirting turned into being playful and mm. we found some common meaning by just, you know, by finding it maybe a different way to talk about it that we both could buy into.
2: Well, that's a, a great point because the the word flirting is is subjective and it's so so what you're saying is just we need to know what we're talking about here.
0: I mean, you know, it, it it implies that there's some kind of a you know a romantic or erotic motive. Right. You know? And I had to ask, well, am I? Is that true? And is that my goal answers, here? No.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty tired <laughs> right now. Yeah, but it, it's also you could see how that could have totally spun out because you yeah. could have been offended. Like, are you kidding? Are you? Do you In really think that's, that's where I go and yeah. and fight that instead of getting down to the real issue?
0: Precisely. And believe me, that is a moment where I took a breath. I mm. actually did it. I took a breath. I felt my defensiveness. I felt myself kind of get angry at her. And then I thought, okay, now what is she seeing that might be true?
2: Yeah. That's a great question, huh? What, what, are, what are they saying that has truth in it? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or what am I missing here?
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's something I'm not seeing.
2: Or you could just say, well, if you would flirt more with your husband, I wouldn't have to. Or something
0: if like you that. flirt more with him; you wouldn't be getting divorced. That's exactly. There <laughs> we go. I reprimand her.
2: Another. I that's right. That's what she wants. Right then is to have you reprimand her. Yeah, exactly. That's it, what she
0: hired me for.
2: It seems like these conversations that are so conflicted. It's really more about in our our own insecurities, our own fears. There's something else mm-hmm. going on deeper.
0: hmm Yeah. Lots of times, where what happens is that we we just very subtly stop believing that other people are for us. And we, very, we stop believing that we're for other people. And so then this separation sets in, and then pretty soon we're sort of in a survival mode where we're just going to kind of take care of ourselves and the world's against us. And it takes quite a lot of practice to to get over that. I mean, maybe some people on the line had families where people really genuinely were for each other and there was a lot of cooperation. But others of us may come from families where there wasn't a lot of trust in each other and it's harder to develop that. So part of the reason we want to learn conflict resolution skills is they help us to learn how to trust each other more and how to relax that people really are on our side.
2: It's because a lot of these are scripts, right? You taught us about how doing something over time would, would create this this pattern in our brain, this mm-hmm. script. But a lot of the scripts that people are dealing with when it comes to conflict have been created when they were five or ten.
0: Yeah, yeah there, there are lots. Of, when you go deeper, particularly like you're saying in couples relationships, what you find is that some of our beliefs are old defensive patterns that we had when we were young and that they worked for us, they helped us survive, they helped protect us. And now that we're older, they're what those very same beliefs are what... Are, what are keeping us from being able to make a real relationship with our partners and our spouses and our friends.
2: The the habits, the thoughts we have keep us doing the same pattern Mm -hmm. without ever evaluating it. So I'm sure part of Mm -hmm. your mindfulness approach is making sure you're looking at what you're doing and why you're doing it.
0: Yeah, precisely. And I think really asking yourself, is this familiar to me? Is this, mm. some, is this experience one that I've had before? Have I had it often? Most of the time, when we start noticing that something's very familiar, then that lets us know there's something we can do to change it. Yeah, that's great. A pattern, but it's right? Nice to, it's nice to have coaching, you know, yeah. someone like you. Yeah, it's helpful.
2: Maybe we could just have some other set of eyes on it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And someone you trust and you can relax with, because relaxation is a big part of it. When we're tense, we tend to go down the wrong road.
2: mm what do you do when you're cuz the group dynamic a dyads one thing right so mm-hmm. two people arguing mm-hmm. that's one thing but the minute you get into a group or it's a couple and their parents mm-hmm. then what do you, what do you do there to kind of create or do you just try to keep it to the players
0: well, I, you know, it's interesting. I think one of the reasons family dynamics, particularly is when we get older, it's, it's different when we're younger because the parents have authority. But, but when we become grown and we yeah. get together with our siblings and our parents are there or, we, or we've lost a parent, suddenly the, there's no leadership. And so what's happening is that people are kind of just trading off. You know, there's a lot of coping going on, and even, even where there's a lot of goodwill. So, I, I mean, I, for me, I just try to keep my own center. And when I'm in my own center, then I find that I'm kinder to other people, and yeah. then I can sort of you know be a positive influence in the space or a positive influence in the dynamic and um and that can be really satisfying even when it doesn't totally succeed.
2: Oh, boy, you're asking so much, Diane
0: I know aren't I?
2: We need to be so mature and yeah. and but you'll you've seen it i mean I've even seen it with just myself, where you'll be in an argument, and you see the pattern, you know you should get out of it, mm-hmm. but y- honestly, it just takes so much willpower to get out of it.
0: It does. It takes a lot of goodwill. What I tell my students a lot of times is the upside of learning these skills is you have a lot more choices in relationship. You can listen. You can take another perspective. You can relax. You can negotiate. You can use reframes. There's all kinds of skills. The downside is you have to use them.
6: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right? You have to make the choice to use them because lots of times we don't want to. We just feel defensive and we want everything to go away. And, and if we... And if, everyone one, Right. right. <laughs> and
2: they just need to change. Exactly. And and, and yet that's the growth, right? The growth yeah. would be me figuring out why would I... I have all these skills. Why would I rather not use them? Exactly.
0: So you get more skilled and then you have a little more responsibility. So that's the trade-off. That's mm. the kind of deal you make is that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn this, and I'm going to get to experience the freedom, and that means I'm going to have to bring more than maybe other people can always bring.
2: Yeah. I guess you just suggest there's no harm to getting really good at meditation. Because oh if, if you were really good at meditation, mediation might come natural. Um, Do you think?
0: You know, yeah. Well, I think listening and meditating are very similar. So what's similar about listening and meditation when you sit down and you quiet your mind you're basically turning off your your talking voice inside when you when you listen you're turning off your talking voice and you're tuning into someone else when you're meditating you're turning down that incessant kind of monkey mind and you're just learning how to be quiet and then as you sink in a little more we talked about you know noticing our breathing, and as we notice our breathing, then all of a sudden the adrenaline start, stops running, and we feel more relaxed, and then pretty soon, you know, instead of thinking about the past and future, we're right here in the moment. We're not judging things. We're not judging the other person who's speaking, our our partner, our friend. We're listening to what they have to say, and so meditation and listening both involve quieting down, turning that voice down, and becoming present in the here and now, and what we find with people who do meditate, and it's, you know, it's getting quite popular these days, is that when you turn off your talking voice and you turn up what we call the experiencing network in the brain, that the other thing that shoots up is our well-being indicators. So it turns out that quietude actually helps people feel better. Hmm. Very important.
2: Yeah. Well, and it, it, it gives you an inner sense of peace
0: mm-hmm. that, Absolutely. that
2: you can then project outward.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's like you create a little oasis for yourself um, where, you know, at any time during the day, whether you're in your car or whether you're in the tub or whether you're, you know, sitting at a traffic stop, you actually know how to relax your mind. And it really is a practice. It's like going to the gym. You learn how to train your mind to, to kind of turn off so that you're not just constantly on yourself thinking about what you have to do or what you haven't done or are you okay or how am I going to get better. That voice just becomes quiet.
2: mm. Man, we need that. We We all do. We all do. And we need it in our world, our country. Well, Diane, we appreciate it. Great stuff. Um, Keep up the wonderful work in uh, kind of a, I I guess it really is a spiritual approach to conflict resolution. Everything is workable. A Zen approach to conflict resolution. A great book uh, to go check out. Also, go to Diane's website. Uh, The website is dianemushohamilton.com. Diane Musho, M U S H O Hamilton. Dot com, Great resource, great tools from a, from a powerful human. That's the goal of the show, right? Bring you some real resources, the information, the answers you need. Start focusing more on your breathing. See if you can't be more in control in private. Uh, manage your thinking and get to that quiet space. It'll help you in your interactions with others. We'll take a break. Come back, continue this uh, discussion, do a quick little wrap-up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. the Matt Townsend show. Oh, it's so fun to talk to someone like Diane. She just calms me down. And then we go to break and Ben just lights me up. Uh, One of my rules when I coach my clients is um, you'll never have a higher level of communication than you have the character to withstand. So one of the reasons it's so important to do the private work that Diane was talking about when it comes to meditation and managing your own, you know, your own breathing, being being able to find a quiet space in your head is because it, I think it grows your character. It enables you to to use maybe your spirit or some other part of you, your mind to control your natural reactive body. And if we can use our, our spirit to control our natural man, our natural body, then it will open up incredible opportunities to understand better what people are saying and to be able to show people and communicate with people in a way that they will hear. Remember, if I'm in my natural kind of fight-or-flight mind, your body is going to read that as a threat and you're going to you're going you're going your body will react to me and then my body will react to you which is where the conflict goes wrong and the only way around that and you you'll see it in all of the great thought leaders that you follow that you believe in whether it's Jesus Christ whether it was Buddha you know Gandhi these thought leaders you believe in that you you revere their you know their ability to influence others those people had control privately Stephen Covey called that the private victory precedes the public victory, so think that through. Are you in your life getting enough practice and skills in your private victory? Can you sit and meditate truly and turn off your head, your mind, your thinking because if you can do that, guess what you're on to something, and you can then use that in your conflict, you can use that in your decision making. You can use it everywhere. Character must precede communication if you want it to be effective. You can't just keep making an argument. Well, I am who I am. That's just who I am. Isn't it amazing that Diane, the author of the book, Everything is Workable, she said she had to do this to correct her own weaknesses. Right? Powerful stuff. Anyway, we all need it. It's not uh, – I'm not preaching to you. I need it as bad as anybody. Just ask Ben. What a, don't ask Ben. Never mind. We got to hurry and go to break. We'll take a break, folks. We'll come back next hour. More tools, more ideas to help you create the life you want. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Top of the morning to you. Actually, it's the bottom of the morning show. Last hour. Today's the day, folks. Today is the day. By the way, happy National Grouch Day. The day of being a grouch.
3: That's usually here about um, 530 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They have no idea.
0: <laughs> I don't know what's coming. Do
2: not talk to me <laughs> till at least 8 o'clock. Yeah, National Grouch Day.
0: Yuck. That sounds like too much fun
3: to me.
2: There's the spokesperson for the Grouch Day, Oscar the Grouch.
3: Oscar the Grouch. One of the best characters ever. Don't you think? Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, you really... Everybody's
3: got a Grouch in the family, right? Oh, yeah. Are you the Grouch in your family?
2: I have been lately. <laughs> yes, I have been. How did you know that?
3: I'm just guessing. Did you tell? Because I knew it wasn't your wife, so I'm just guessing.
2: She's never a grouch. Yeah. It's kind of, it's always me. My kids look at me like, get some sleep. (laughs) Please. You're a grouch.
6: So take a hike.
2: (laughs) Oscar's got a lot of great one-liners. I'm sure Ben will be playing them all through the morning.
6: Oh, I love trash.
2: (laughs)
3: That brings back such good memories.
2: <laughs> I liked him a lot. He's yeah. the one. He's the only one I related to.
3: It, not Cookie Monster.
2: Nah, yeah, I did. Just the eating, but
3: <laughs> just the he, eating part.
2: Yeah, he, yeah, he was cute. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be hugged by Cookie Monster. Yeah, right. Yeah,
5: oh goody! A whole afternoon of nice, nice.
2: Holy cow! <laughs> How many of these oh. do you have, Ben? You're you're starting to ignite my grouch. So take a hike. Oh, boy.
3: Igniting the grouch from within.
2: <laughs> First, you need to go deep inside yourself <laughs> and find the inner grouch. Then you need to light it on fire. Hey, um, here is a crazy story. Oh, holy cow. What will they think of next, Kathy? This reminded me of you for some reason. Uh-oh. Um, the lodging website Airbnb announced a contest to win a spooky Halloween stay. With six million deceased roomies in the catacombs of Paris.
3: Yeah, no, that's not me.
2: Wouldn't you love to just... All you got to do is go to Airbnb's website. They (laughs) offer free overnight accommodations for two.
3: (laughs) I always wanted to go to Paris, but not there. Not not there.
2: Before bedtime, a storyteller will help you uh, with a spellbound uh, uh, discussion and fascinating tales from the catacombs guaranteed to produce nightmares. Yeah. Finally, enjoy Dawn with the Dead as you become the only living person ever to wake up in the Paris catacombs. <laughs> oh, my. Does that even sound appealing Not to you? Not
3: one bit. I'm not a Halloween fan anyway, so that just, you know, no.
2: Now, aren't you? No. Do you, do you, you don't like a My good My least scare? favorite holiday. Really? It is. You don't like the dark and Kaylee, arts?
3: Kaylee. Kaylee and I are now just best friends because she said the same thing to me. Kim? Kim,
2: Kim Kaylee, Daines? Kaylee. Kaylee? Yeah. We, who's Kaylee? We have a Kaylee on our show?
3: No, she's your producer.
2: <sighs> you mean Karen? Kaylee. I think it's I think it's Cooley. Anyway, we'll we'll figure out her name later. Uh, But check this out. The rules say that you should respect the catacombs Mm -hmm. as much as you would your own grave. And there are no pets allowed. But you can be assured that there will be a monster under your bed.
5: Yuck. That sounds like too much fun to me.
2: (laughs) A great mix. So Uh, do
3: you dress up for Halloween?
2: No. No. I, I don't like Halloween. Yeah, I don't either. You know why? I've decided. Okay. Because for years I'm I'm the guy that goes walking with the kids. Yep. And I always take a tithe. A so tithe. so I take 10% of all of their food.
3: <laughs> oh, that's so true. Don't you yeah, think absolutely. that's where my kids learned about yes, tithing? And, and that's
1: not what Halloween's about.
3: Yes, it is when the yes, parents it is. go they have to get some Well, emotion. Hello.
2: What do you think I'm out there for my own good?
1: You're out there to scare people.
2: Yeah, no. No. Except it can be scary.
3: Yeah, my but, my thing with my kids is every almond joy that they get comes my way. That's the deal.
2: You know what? Yep. Hey, did you ever do this? Because I'm a bad parent. I would tell my kids, like, oh, you won't. That's got coconut in it. You won't even like that. And if, do you like almonds? No, I'm allergic to them. You better give me those. So I I've talked my kids out of certain candy. Uh,
3: that's a good way. I need to do that next yeah. time. Of course, mine are too old. Yours are too Yours old. Are too the old. worst part for me is you open the door and they're like you know, six foot five high school seniors like Trick and, or treat. No. <laughs> See big, ya, guys. Place. You're a little too old.
2: Yeah. And I figured out, though, I didn't like it because I've had plantar fasciitis uh-huh. for about three years. Yeah. And it would always hurt my foot to go out.
3: Especially then, in the cold weather hell, right. and Halloween makes it inflame a little bit That's right. more. Well, yeah. then I've got yeah. to
2: take a wheelchair to work the next day. <laughs> so, th- But this time, I'm all fixed. I'm all better. Nope, so nope. I'm excited Puses to go. Yep. No excuses. My sisters. Did you ever do the trade as a kid? The like tra- where oh, you would bring sure. all your candy oh, back yeah. and you trade uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. So I was the youngest of three. So there was four of us. So I was the one that was always. I'd always end up with like the bit of honey. Hey, wait a
3: minute. You were the youngest of three. Of four. Okay. And, and there were four of you. Three okay. older sisters. Okay.
2: <laughs> but like by age, they would all get better candy, mm-hmm. and I would start out with a pretty good dose of good candy because I was the cute kid. Then by the end of the night, all my sisters had my good candy, and I had like all of the bit of honeys.
3: Oh, I love bit of honey.
2: Well, I did. Now, like I do now. I didn't like them when I was seven. <laughs> bit of honey yeah, was that a probably bit wasn't of nightmare. Seven year old candy. You know yeah, what I mean? that's
3: true. Yeah, pixie sticks. Yeah, I love those. Those were good. Pure sugar.
2: Oh yeah. Do you remember how you could just <laughs> stay up all night on oh, Halloween, all night. shaking? Yep. Oh, for sure. A little twitchy. Mm -hmm.
3: And (laughs) dentist Bill, about a month later, was not very good. I know.
2: This is so exciting. (laughs) Oh, okay. That's why I'm
3: glad my kids are grown. Don't have to worry about that anymore.
2: So I guess guess you're not going to do the... Catacombs?
3: No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll take a pass.
2: Good. Well, then just... You can do it, though. Just celebrate. Happy, you need a break. I, I totally do. <laughs> happy Grouch Day, then. Uh, let's turn it over to Kathy and find out what's going on in the headlines.
3: Good morning, everyone. President Obama is reportedly dropping his plans to withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan by the end of his final term. This after acknowledging Afghan security forces are unable to fend off the Taliban and other insurgents. The U.S. has just under 10,000 troops there currently as part of its NATO mission, and Obama will will reduce that number to around 5,500. The U.S. has been in Afghanistan since 20, 2001, and Obama had promised to end the Afghan war on his watch. At a presidential rally late last night in Virginia, Donald Trump said Hillary Clinton would be easy to beat and called Bernie Sanders a socialist communist. He also said Sanders made a big mistake during Tuesday's Democratic debate.
4: Bernie made a mistake. He got a great couple of seconds, but he took the situation that's a very serious situation where Hillary is being investigated by the FBI and he gave it away. He just gave it away. He can never bring it up again. And it's not like he's winning. He's losing. He's losing actually big if you look countrywide. So I think he made a mistake.
3: Just over 15 million people watched Tuesday's CNN debate, about 8 million less than the Republican debate on the same network. The third Republican debate is scheduled for October 28th. Trump leads Ben Carson by just one percentage point, according to a Fox News poll. That same poll says 60% of voters think Hillary has been deceitful about the State Department's role in the Benghazi attacks, but just 46% of those polled think Congress should not continue the investigation. Attorneys for former House Speaker Dennis Hastert say their client will plead guilty later this month to charges related to alleged efforts to conceal sexual misconduct from nearly 30 years ago. Hastert, the longest-serving Republican House Speaker, was indicted and charged in May with violating federal banking laws and lying to the FBI. Two parents face first-degree manslaughter charges after two of their sons were beaten at a church earlier this week. A 19-year-old was killed and the 17-year-old brother is in serious condition. This coming at what was called a counseling session at the Word of Life Church in New York.
4: Both brothers were continually subjected to physical punishment over the course of several hours in the hopes that each would confess the prior sins and ask for forgiveness.
3: That was New Hartford Police Chief Michael and Sarah on the church death. The parents, Bruce and Deborah Leonard, are being held on $100,000 bail. More details have emerged about Lamar Odom, the former NBA player, who was taken to a Las Vegas hospital after he was found unconscious at a Nevada brothel on Tuesday. And new reports say Odom took cocaine as well as other supplements. Odom is reportedly on a ventilator, and sources say he's had at least one stroke and has suffered brain damage. The Kansas City Royals beat Houston last night seven to two and are moving. On to the American League Championship Series, they'll face the Toronto Blue Jays, who had also advanced after beating Texas six to three. One game tonight, the Dodgers host the Mets in Game Five. The winner of that game to play the Cubs on Saturday. And back to that Blue Jays game, Matt. Did you see oh. the flip, the bat flip from yeah, Kobe- Jose totally, Bautista? Totally cool. Wow, that was kind of an in your face, huh? Yeah. Three run homer in the seventh that won the game. Now they're calling him the. They're calling him Joey Batflip and so instead of Joey Batista. <laughs> Batista. But yeah, that was uh, kind of in your face. Yeah, I, I think if there was another game, there might be some repercussions. But, oh, are done. luckily they're done. Yeah. So luckily, they're do done. That, yeah,
2: because but next year they'll next get him. Year, there they'll you go. they'll yeah. get him Texas, next year. They don't.
3: They don't forget those things. No, they don't. Man, that was. They don't forget but, those things, and they don't forget when you hit a, hit a batter either. So that Texans, game, by the I'm way, forgotten. great memories. <laughs> yeah,
2: great memories. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Well done, Kathy. Yeah, go
3: Dodgers. Thank you.
2: Good stuff. Hey, uh, have you ever been talking to your kids and you're like, hey, how was your day? And they're like, fine. My day was fine. There is nothing to talk about here. Good son. Good talk. Well, our next guest uh is going to um is, is gonna give us some insight on five questions that might be better to ask than how was your day? Andrea Bonnier will be joining us. She's going to give us uh some ways, hopefully, to open up uh the the conversations with our children. So uh, stick with us. You're going to want to learn this one. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Giving you the tools to talk to your kids. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Fine and good; those are the two words that you uh, that may actually be the bane of your relationship, isn't it? With your kids, it's almost become a habit for us when we see our kids walk through the door coming home from school. We always say, "You know, how was your day?" And you know, for them, they've made the habit of just saying "fine" or "good." And sometimes it's like pulling teeth to get your kids to actually converse. So, how can we break down the walls? behind fine and good and get past those automated responses dr andrea bonier is a licensed clinical psychologist speaker professor and author who specializes in the treatment of young adults relationships and life transitions she's here today to help us uh crack the code by giving us five questions that might be better than how was your day dr andrea Bonnier, welcome to the matt townsend show
7: Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be
2: here. Great to have you. It's, it really is a, um, it's a big, it's a big deal because parents, and we, you know, I know you, you wrote a book on friendships, um, Mm -hmm. but it's almost like friends, we have a different relationship, like we're, we're, we're equals in it. We're kind of have a vested interest to kind of work it together. But with Mm -hmm. the kids, uh, it's almost like maybe it's the disparity. I don't know what it is. The skills. They don't always want to open up to us.
7: They don't. They don't. And I find that since it's sort of a daily conversation, it it's very easy to get into a rut, you know, yeah. asking the same conversational questions over and over again. And then they get just in the rut of answering it in the same way over and over again. And right. before you know it, neither of you is truly actually talking to each other.
2: And then you both roll your eyes like, oh, why do I try? And they're like, why <laughs> yeah. won't they be quiet? Yeah. Um, when you when you I, I actually I've never thought of it that way Andrea because it's but the rut is is something we can get out of by just driving out of the rut you just got to do something different.
7: Yes you have to do something different I mean you think about how we say how are you almost as a greeting in life now and it's not even intended as a question sometimes it's just almost like saying, hello, you know, you're at the grocery store. How are you? Oh, how are you? (laughs) Nobody really expects an answer. And I almost think that sometimes with our children, the how's your day? Fine, is almost the same way. Nobody's really thinking about it. Nobody's really expecting it to go deeper. But parents often have a lot of regrets that they're not really hearing what's going on in their child's day, and they really would like to. They just, as you said, need to find a way to get out of that.
2: And really, it seems like the onus is on the adult to Mm -hmm. to change, right? I mean, the child might be perfectly happy just (laughs) playing their video game.
7: Yes, that's very true. And, of course, it does depend on the age of the child. You know, sometimes when kids are still super young, they'll be delighted to sort of tell you some very interesting details. And it's funny because... For some children, they'll have a hard time sort of telling you overall what happens over the course of the day. Right. But, man, they've they've got a great story about, you know, what Sarah said at lunch and that kind of thing. And they will go into completely open detail um, to the point where sometimes the parent might be like, okay, that's fine. And, (laughs) you know, and then later on when your kid gets older, you'll really maybe miss that. You know, oh, now my kid doesn't tell me anything, or they say they don't remember. Or, you know, sometimes with my own son, it's funny, you know, oh, who did you sit with at lunch? I don't remember. And then I drive him <laughs> crazy because I'll be like, oh, I don't remember. Well, that's a strange theme for a kid, you know. And that's I, right. I'm, I'm making that same joke, but it's kind of like, you know, he's just in a place where he's getting to the age where things feel a little bit more private sometimes.
2: That might be it, huh? Because it seems like the younger kids might be more open to – To just kind of let it all out if you ask the right question, but you can sometimes see those teenagers holding back. They're probably trying to keep their boundaries.
7: Yes. And I think it's important for them to have some stuff that's just theirs. You know, it's kind of a life skill for them to learn like, well, you know, this this is just kind of my experience and I'm not ready to talk about it yet versus, well, maybe it's good for me to talk about this other aspect of Mm -hmm. it or even just the skill of being able to summarize a day overall to sort of consolidate in your brain and say, yeah, I guess my day went pretty well overall versus, well, this one bad thing happened and then I let it flavor my whole day. You know, that can be really a good life skill for kids to be able to kind of summarize and, pick out the details that mattered the most and share those as kind of a
2: highlights, greatest hits kind of talk. Yeah, and to know that when someone asks you about your day, it's more than just a one-word answer. I mean, you can almost see how this would eventually be projected into a really bad marriage discussion. So, (laughs) honey, how was your day? Fine.
6: Yes.
2: (sighs) Is that all you've got? And here we go.
6: Yes, completely. And that's a skill you can teach
2: right then. That's great. Mm-hmm. Does um, I, I guess, too, it, you, there's there, you can say things, but if, if you're not careful, if I ask whatever my question is to my child, it's going to kind of infer it could have the potential of inferring my thoughts about them. It could have the potential of, um, you know, sounding demanding. So yeah. are, are questions the best way to to start?
7: Yeah, it really does depend on the question. And I think like you're getting at very much your tone. Sometimes as parents, we're sort of doing the leading question thing. So the first thing out of our mouth is, did you remember to turn in your homework?
2: Exactly. (laughs) Which which has, there's an inference there, right? Like, hey, I know you're not smart enough, but did you?
7: Yes. Yes. And it's like the kids come off the bus or you're picking them up from aftercare or whatever. And it's like, wow so my mom must have been thinking about all day the fact that (laughs) i was going to forget and it immediately starts off on a negative negative track and you know in your mind you're just kind of checking in because maybe turning in homework has been a problem and you you know have been thinking about it and you're going to be relieved when they say yes but just the fact that that was the first thing out of your mouth and it was maybe in a tone it was already a little bit scolding. Yeah. It's just going to set the conversation up to be really awkward and they're going to feel judged already. So, yeah, I mean, we all have those sort of check-in things. Hey, did you do this? Did you do this? But we have to be very careful that if we're greeting them with that, we're not just kind of treating them like a taskmaster or, or being the taskmaster ourselves i should say and treating them you know like somebody who just has to do a bunch of chores off a checklist and that that's all we're interested in
2: yeah see that's uh it's so true how i how i talk to you today impacts how we will talk tomorrow and so yes. it, it does kind of set a yes. precedence doesn't it
7: absolutely and our kids absorb so much in tone so much in body language i mean the way that they can really be sensitive to those cues we not we might not realize that maybe we're still carrying a bunch of stress from our work day and Mm -hmm. so even when we greet them we're kind of rushed and distracted and our body language is not very welcoming and it almost seems perfunctory okay we're asking about their day but we're not really open to what they're trying to say and they pick up on that right away and they're gonna shut down right away and we all have our days you know the evening frenzy can be harrowing sometimes. And maybe you are thinking about that conference call you still have to make, and maybe you are thinking about how you forgot to pick up something for dinner, and and so you feel frenzied. But if you can just adjust your tone and your body language, even just for a few moments when you greet them, it can really make a big difference.
2: Yeah, or just touch them, right? Just just hug them Mm -hmm. and get in a habit of that. With my kids, it's weird, but I started uh, early with them where I always say, instead of saying, how was your day? Um, I, sometimes mm-hmm. I still say that. How was your day? Fine. And then I say, on a scale from 1 to 10, rate it. So all my kids know with anything yeah. they're doing, I'm going to ask them for a rating.
7: <laughs> That's great. That's great because it's like you've developed a special language with them. Yeah. And it works for them. Yeah. And they but it's going to bring about different answers. You know, fine is always the same answer. And as parents know, fine can be horrible or it can mean fantastic. Right,
2: exactly. Um,
7: but a rating scale is a really good idea because it almost makes it more of a game and they have to think about it a little bit and that's going to build in their mind. Okay, I guess today was better than yesterday, but not as good as last Monday. And I think that's a wonderful way yeah. of getting them
2: to And then that. what else is cool is I just then say, no matter what their answer is, I'm like, Tell me tell me more. So mm-hmm. so they they'll give me an eight, like how was football practice? Eight. Uh great. Oh, tell me more. What made it so great? And then I've get mm-hmm. I'll get two or three stories.
7: Yes. The follow up is so important because no question is sort of the magic bullet if you're just gonna ask it and then zone out and not follow up. Right. You know, ideally what a question really does is open up. A conversation, but you're still going to have to be attuned to that conversation. Yeah. And like you said, really, it's picking up on cues from them and taking it and running with
2: it. It's such great. Uh, it's, it really is. It's kind of an art, a skill set. Let's take a break. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with Dr. Andrea Bonner, Bonner, Bonner and she's walking us through um, this the conversations, folks, that we have with our kids. When we come back, we're going to get to five questions that are better that we could ask to kind of spark it, to get it going. Um, Five questions that are better than how was your day? Um, Just uh, learning from the experts today on how to open up a conversation and, and see if you can't get more. And really the goal is to build the trust, build the relationships. We'll take a break. More with Dr. Andrea Bonier after the break. Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is Dr. Andrea Bonier. You can go to her website drandreabonier.com, drandreabonier.com, and um, she's guiding us through those sometimes routine and sometimes unfulfilling conversations that we have with our children when we come in and we just say, so, how was your day? And they give us, you know, a one-word answer. She's teaching us, though, There's a lot of other things that matter, your tone, your history, uh, maybe your creativity uh, when it comes down to it. And uh, Andrea's put together some other questions we might want to be asking. Andrea, welcome back again to the show. Thank you. Good to have you. What What are some other questions we could be asking that might create a whole different experience?
7: Yeah, you know, I think one is simply what's a word you'd use to describe today? And so, you know, word other than fine, of course, you can sort of laugh with them if they say, oh, fine, and sort of turn it into a game. And I think this can be a nice long running kind of thing. As in, you know, each day, just like your rating scale numerically, they come up with a word that really sort of describes the day. And. It can be good. It can be bad. It can be funny. And then, of course, you're going to ask them to elaborate on that. And yeah. it, it forces them to think a little bit past fine because they've no longer they've no longer continued thinking about what the word fine means. It's almost like, you know, verbal tick in a way to yeah. say fine. And, again, I mean, it's okay as a first question, but you've got to find ways to tell deeper. So if you say, hey, come up with a word to describe today and it becomes sort of a thing in your vocabulary then it they'll come up with some very interesting things sometimes. You're working
2: on their vocabulary. And, that's great.
7: That is true as well. I mean young kids might really like this maybe they even come up with a word that doesn't really exist yet but then they tell you what that means
6: to mm. them. And mm. so
7: I think that's another thing. Another thing I think In terms of really getting at their social life as they get older, you know, you might ask the sort of rote questions again, like, who did you sit with the lunch? Oh, I don't remember. Um, Sometimes something like, who did you spend the most time with today, can be a good way for you to sort of see what's going on and for them to really think about who they value who they are choosing to spend lunch or recess with, and day by day, that can also lead to some interesting discussions. It's oh, like, yeah. well. You know, usually at recess, I like to play with Emily, but I didn't spend as much time with her today because something was going on. You know, what was going on with that? Or now I'm getting to know somebody new, and I actually spent a lot of time with a new girl in school, and now we're going to talk about her. And I think, you know, because social parts of school are often the ones that are on the kids' minds the most, this can be a nice way of getting at that and having them sort of think and talk about the people that really are becoming part of their circle that they're spending hours and hours with each day.
2: Well, what, what if their answer is, well, I spent a lot of time with the principal today. <laughs> then you're like, okay, we got to talk.
7: Exactly.
2: That's good. But exactly. it really is that such a, it's kind of a backdoor way to sneak in what's going on. That's powerful. Yeah.
7: Yeah, you know, and some kids will be like, well, I I was just kind of on my own today. And that's an answer in and of itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, that tells you, okay, well, did you want that to be the case? How did that feel to you? I mean, okay, so you ate lunch by yourself. That's not typical for you, or maybe that is becoming typical for you let's talk about how that is for you and whether or not you want it to be that way, yeah, that's and, great. you know, cause all those things I think can be really important, you know, in terms of, you know, for some parents, it's like, Oh my goodness, I have no idea what my kids are even learning. They're, you know, they're at school seven hours a day or whatever. And I just, they never talk about anything about content. And so sometimes a good way of talking about content is to ask, what did your teacher talk about most hmm. today? You know, so you're not saying what'd you do in math or what'd you do in history which, you know, they kind of shut down, I don't remember, or something like that. Well, think about the day. What was your teacher going on and on about today? I mean yeah. you don't have to say it in those terms. I mean I think about it like, Oh, well We actually spent a lot of time talking about how Johnny was misbehaving. Okay, well, that's an answer. Let's see where that takes us. Or, you know, well, we went over for a really long time this new way of doing the math problems, and I actually didn't like it, and here's why. Mm. You know, it gets them a little bit something, and it also helps them summarize the day in their head because they're really thinking about how, you know, the bulk of the time was spent, and it gives you a little glimpse, and sometimes it gives you a glimpse into what their relationship with their teacher is, because if they're always saying, well, all she talked about or all he talked about was this, and we already know this, you kind of get those glimpses of, oh, maybe my kid's a little bored, a little frustrated, or feeling a little condescended to you, or whatever, and then yeah. you can find out more about that.
2: That's good stuff, really good stuff, So, mm-hmm. and and it takes the pressure off from them having to make the focus on them and Mm -hmm. and make it on the teacher, but, you know, you cannot not communicate. So the minute they start talking about what the teacher was talking about, you're learning a lot about their day.
7: Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. And you're learning about how they perceived it, too. I mean, it's kind of funny. It's like they say that the teacher talked most about, you know, Johnny misbehaving. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that probably wasn't more than 15 minutes. But to my kid... That felt like a lifetime, and mm-hmm. that's what's important is really their perception of it.
2: Or if they can't remember anything the teacher <laughs> talked about, then you got another problem.
7: Yeah, if they had their headphones on <laughs> and on in their iPod. And,
2: uh... right. That's so true. What are some <laughs> other that's questions? Any others that we should be paying attention to?
7: Yeah, you know, a couple more I like. One I really like is, did anything surprise you? Today oh, I love you know that. that's one that sometimes it's like it could be something silly, like oh, the bathroom flooded or you know whatever, and it really you know that's sort of getting at the heart of how is today different than yesterday, which is another question like, oh, so anything new today that wasn't the same from yesterday or yeah. anything that was the same or things like that you know and and more sort of on a moral ethical kind of access access, what I really love is asking. Who did you help today? And who helped you? And getting them to think about compassion and getting them to think about just little acts. Often this is dinner conversation in our family, the idea of even the grown-ups, you know, saying, Okay, well, let me think about who I helped today. And even if it's something minor, you know, some days it's like, well, I think I held a door open for someone, and that's you know, and that's it. Or it can be something more significant. And you might find that you know, even if your kid's having behavior problems or something, you hear a story of tenderness that actually, you know, there's a new kid, and they decided to sit with them at lunch and introduce them to people. And it's a, it's a way of really getting them to think about how they're treating other people and to make a practice of working some kindness into their day.
2: I love that. And it, and it, there's almost an expectation in there, right? That mm-hmm. you return and report, what did yeah. uh, who did you, who did you influence today?
7: Yes, exactly. Especially if there's siblings, you know, maybe there's a little bit of rivalry there like, well, mm-hmm. the whole, My sister's always, you know, goody, goody. I guess
2: I got to have something to say. That's right. I love it. And and I guess really this, um, I guess what this shows us, though, too, Andrea, is that this this isn't easy. You have to think, right? As parents, we need Mm -hmm. to use our brain, our melon, to try to figure this out. That's
7: right. And to really see what works for your kids, you know, again, there's no one magic bullet. The idea is trying some different things and seeing what sticks and having some continuity, you know, like, like with your sort of rating scale or some of these other kind of almost game like things, it becomes part of your family fabric. Like this is how we talk about our day and this is what we share with each other. And you just have to figure out exactly what works best for your kid. It
2: really, it really is. I think it's a, it's essential because that relationship with our child, we have to grow it some way. And if they're mm-hmm. not naturally going to just open it up and grow it, then we need to intentionally, you know, build yeah. more trust and, and 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 model it and coach it and then even show them, I guess, too. We can talk about our day and show them, show them what it looks like.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and just be ready to listen. You know, don't don't start asking about their day until you're re- really ready yeah. to actually listen. You're not staring at your phone, and then they're saying, Mom, you're not even listening to That's me. That's
2: right. Yeah, and you're making dinner, and, yeah, no wonder they might stop giving you information because you're not processing it. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Well, exactly. we appreciate you um, and the work you do. Again, the website, com. Dr. drandreabonnier.com. And go check out her book, The Friendship Fix. It's a popular book. You'll, it's, she's been on every magazine, every cover. She's, it's just a great, great tool to help you. Uh, com, it's a complete guide to choosing and uh, losing and keeping up with your friends. And you know, every once in a while, some friends aren't there for you either. So go check out that resource. And remember the questions. Folks, these are your kids, for heaven's sakes. You love them. Now, Find a way in. Find a way into their heart. You don't have to demand it. You can sneak it in sometimes. We'll take a break. Come back. Go visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. See what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, folks. We're almost to the finish line. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Back, friends, to the Matt Townsend show. This song has nothing to do with our next guest. Our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. What's up? Spencer's on his way. Spencer's on his way. He's in uh, primping for the big show.
1: Yeah, he's walking in literally right now. It's all good.
2: How does he look? Looks give, amazing. Give us always. a little play-by-play.
1: It's a it's a game. Well, he's doing play-by-play tonight on the uh, is, women's volleyball match. Is he? So he's he's dressed up. That way it doesn't have to change. Ah. So he doesn't wear a tie. He'll lose the tie. He'll lose the jacket. But he's dolled up. But he's dolled up, yeah. Looks
2: great. <laughs> Does he have his face on?
1: Does he have his face on?
2: That's a reference yeah, to makeup. Yeah, he's well coiffed, shaved, <laughs> makeup. He's ready to go. <laughs> Good stuff, you guys. You know, for a minute there, I thought this was like Kathy Lee's show. Because I was hearing all about how... What he was wearing and how good he looks. You, you had to pick it. Kathy Lee. I didn't. I don't know. I don't know another show.
1: It's kind of an yeah. It's kind of an older reference. I know, but like, what's us. another?
2: What's a show? We were little. What's a show that talks about clothes and hair? Uh,
1: You're yeah. Talking to a bunch of dudes at yeah, sports. I am glad that I am having the to
5: think od- hard about this. this is the wrong right. audience. Hey, hey,
2: hey! Did did you guys watch the Jays game last night? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So bat. Bat-Flip-Tista. Yeah. (laughs) What uh, what do you think of that?
1: I think it's great. And then all the codgers that think that it's dumb should relax. He was just just You're excited. Why why in baseball can you not express yourself like all the other sports? In basketball, you dunk the ball, you beat your chest, you look somewhere else, and you're excited. In football, you scream, you even yell at that guy. It's accepted behavior. But for some reason... You have to play baseball a certain way, and if you don't you get beaned. It's, it's funny stupid. it's funny
5: that you brought this up because literally in the top of our show I have the following written into our
1: rundown. I haven't seen
5: this. Unwritten rules in sports, epic bat flip by Jose Bautista. Yeah. Why is that bad? It's not bad. He was amped. He was so excited. Well, we look, look just at won everything the games. K in football. Staredowns. downs. Yeah. Totally fine. Right. Basketball. Dunk on somebody, stare down, uh-huh. totally fine.
2: Deflating footballs. Totally, totally fine.
1: <laughs>
5: but if you can't
1: you don't
2: even you get can't suspended. stare
5: down a pitcher and flip your bat after you hit a home run in game five of the deciding American League Divisional Series championship game.
2: Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, it's silly.
2: But people are making are, are, are they really making Canada, a huge it's deal? Weird. I didn't know they were making that big of a deal, but they are. Huh? There's a lot of stink about it. Well, also,
5: what's with Toronto throwing things on the field? I thought all yeah. Canadians were super nice.
2: No, oh no, you got to keep your eye on the Canadians because nice of this one incident. No, it's
1: <laughs> whatever. People, BYU fans have thrown stuff on the court. Whatever.
5: No, I think
2: that I think that slipped. It just slipped right out of their hands.
1: Slipped for 15
2: minutes. Yeah, twenty thousand fans. It just kept slipping. <laughs> Very slippery. Hey, um, did you see the earlier in the inning where the catcher threw, or earlier in the game where the catcher threw the ball and it hit the bat? Yes, and a score run. What do you think of that? That was that was more confusing and upsetting than the bat flip. Well, that's why things started to hit the field, but it's in the rule books. Yeah, so that was an error. What was that? An error? I don't think
5: it's ruled as an error. I think it's just ruled as the ball tried to go back to the pitcher and it hit a batter. Unintentionally, who was not trying to, like, step in front of yeah, the Yeah, he play wasn't on swinging at it,
2: right. It just
5: was a weird play.
2: Oh, that was crazy.
5: Yeah, Russell Martin, the catcher last night, said, Canadian. I have, I have great timing, <laughs> don't I? For oh. He's like, I've, I've only seen that happen once. And he's like, and it happens to me in that situation, in this game. He's right. like, I have great timing. Well, even that's the umpires the
2: were a little confused. So that, I mean, that's a no-brainer. But that was a crazy game.
5: The umpire was confused at first. He yeah. initially
2: signaled him to go back to third base. I know. It's like that that's why but I guess that probably amped everybody, right? That got a bunch of people ticked. And oh, then yeah. yep. th- they had to calm down the fans. Isn't that what isn't that what caused kind of the the almost brawl was you know, a little lip talk. While...
5: Well, I mean it was all of it. Yeah. After that it was just building and then the bat flip and then Edwin Encarnacion is trying to calm down the crowd, and Texas's pitcher mistakes it as he's trying to incite the crowd right, to continue right. to like be raucous and crazy and throw stuff on the field. And he's like, no, I'm telling him to calm down. And then that's when the bench is cleared.
2: <laughs> oh, geez. So I, I, I assume if there was a game six, let's say, then Bat, bat flip Tista would probably have a head injury.
5: Certainly. Thankfully, there's not a game six, and it's only a five-game series. It'll be next year. <laughs> That's the thing. Grudges last all off season, over careers in some cases.
2: Oh, man. Can you imagine spending all summer waiting to get bean? It's just part of the deal.
1: You know what it you're is. getting in for.
2: But it's okay if you win, this, if you win the World Series. So now the Jays have to win the World Series to make this all worth it.
1: Oh, no. It was worth it just for last night. That you just enjoy game. the moment when is that this, happens, yeah. and then you go from there. Like, did the Cubs win the World Series because they sure acted like it? No, but it means more. That's right. Because... F- as Sports Pickle said, they've had this 110-year rebuilding plan, and it's still coming. It's coming to fruition. now. <laughs>
2: and they killed a third of the goat curse. <laughs> Just a no, third.
1: Not until. Not, not until they get to not the not World in, Series. I know. I know. No, but they, t-
2: they killed the first. They. They. It's the beginning of the goat killing.
1: Lamb? I don't know what, where we're going with this. Yeah. Uh, they prepared him. Well, what if? Yeah, nice. What if, What if the Cubs get to the World Series but lose? Are they cool? Like, is it? Uh, Everything cool again? No, I don't you, you, you got so, right? to win it. I think they
2: got to win. Yeah, you got to win it, and then you have to have a big goat dinner.
5: Would the Red Sox, <laughs> doing what they did in 2004 against the Yankees, would, if they had not won the World Series, would it have been cool? No. Well, would it have well, been well, kosher? If,
1: if the Cubs had done it in the same fashion as that, maybe the conversation is different. Down three... Games to nothing. It's like the last inning. See against that was your arch rival. as dramatic a comeback as you can have. Yeah, the Cubs beautiful. just won a, a series, a five game series against right. their arch rival. Yeah, um, mm. which that yeah, we we won't remember that series with the Cardinals like the Red Sox. Certainly not. Not the same context. Hey, I later if the if the Cubs can uh, you know get to the World Series and win, now we're talking. It's it's over.
2: Um, I didn't tell you guys this, but. Happy National Grouch Day, Jeremy! Like this is a holiday Oscar for you, Oscar the Grouch. Mm-hmm.
6: So take a hike.
2: Yep, <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's 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 National Grouch Day. I just wanted to just thank you guys. What for... if
1: what if Oscar's been misportrayed this whole time and he was actually just had a, you know weird upbringing and everyone gave him a no? Out.
2: You know what? Uh, no, I found do we out.
1: Know the, do we know the backstory? Is there a
5: wiki yeah. page on this?
2: Yeah, he's lactose intolerant. That's he's the not issue? he's not a grouch. He's just. He's got a wheat issue and lactose intolerant.
5: Wheat. Yeah, oh goody! A whole afternoon of nice, nice.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what? That's what? why he's green. He's really not green. He's really more of a gray color, but his his intolerance for for milk is killing the man, and he's been drinking gallons of it. Yeah, it makes him. It makes him a grouch. Okay. What's uh? What's I'd be grouchy, too if
5: I
1: can have ice cream and cereal and stuff. Oh, oh man, yeah. That sounds really good. My sister's grouchy because of that. Is she? No, she's actually not. Should we do a little shout
2: out? Hey, um, what what's on your show today, boys?
1: Sports content mostly. Okay, good. Um, Good. You're keeping. We're gonna play Meet That Quarterback. Cool. Tanner Mangum's hurt. You never know. He'll be playing quarterback. Yeah, he's he's planning on playing. Um, but if not, you know, if there's some issue or whatever, we're gonna play Meet That Quarterback. We'll introduce you to the three quarterbacks behind him. Wow. As well as talk to a couple quarterbacks. John Beck, Blaine Fowler on the show, plus women's volleyball ranked number 13. Cozy Burnett, starting opposite, will be on the show.
2: By the way, I, f- I saw him on campus the other day. and Who, four- who Taylor Magna? Uh-huh. And four, four co-eds were carrying him. As they should be. I mean, they're like protecting that leg. You want
1: him to play on Friday? Yeah, for sure. You go to Extreme Measures.
2: <laughs> they're just Which carrying him around.
1: Get the Relief Society and uh, those sisters from the church to uh, carry you around, you know? That's
2: You'd nice. think they'd get him a wheelchair, but no. The, the lady said, no, it's easier just to carry him.
1: They are a society of relief, and he needs some relief right now.
2: <laughs> so sad.
1: Yeah, there's a there's the Richards building stairs on campus uh-huh. are famously known as being really intense. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, that guy better not be walking up those a single time. No, 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 uh, never. No, let's get that guy a helicopter. Yeah, let's get a weighted drone. Let's get let's him. Get you know five something
2: five students to just carry him up. Yeah, I
1: mean USC got in trouble for like. Taking golf, you know, guys around in golf carts on campus. Yeah. Oh, really? Can we make that exception this week? Can yeah. We call well, Indianapolis. Isn't that what the redshirt freshmen are for?
2: Carrying the quarterback.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hey, right. Which, ironically, or coincidentally, actually, uh, the uh, backups behind. Tanner are a freshman as well. True, right we So true. See, so there. Now so we know true.
2: how he's getting up those stairs. Yeah, yeah,
5: exactly. <laughs> hey, backup
1: quarterbacks, pick me up.
2: Let's go. Move we'll, it.
1: You'll meet those quarterbacks that have been carrying Tanner and Mangum around.
2: That's awesome. You guys, you're gonna have a great show. Quarterback matchup, or what? If, what are you calling mm-hmm. it?
1: If not, we'll work
2: on it tomorrow. That's the neat thing. There's always tomorrow. Yeah. Unless, of course, this all ends today, which that would be a, a surprise for all of us. Well, guys, have a great show knock it out of the park, and then flip the bat. See how it goes. You know I will. <laughs> I know you already have.
5: Yeah. That's my quarterback.
2: <laughs> good luck, gents. Be Thank good. you. Have a great one. Bye. Bye-bye. Good stuff. Good stuff. Here's the deal. As you know on the show, we always like to bring you the news. And uh, one of the stories we got to get to is just this crazy surprise. You've heard about the migrants that are moving out of Syria and into Europe, right? Well, the, the craziest thing, apparently three of them had a pretty gnarly surprise. They jumped, <laughs> they jumped into the back of a truck that was already occupied by a polar bear. The polar bear, called Nissan, was in the back of a vehicle, by the way, in a cage, but outside of the French port of Calais, uh, when the group of migrants broke, open the back door, and the three of them jumped in. And they found the bear in there.
4: Be very, very quiet.
2: (laughs) Shh, be very, very quiet. Elmer Fudd. And uh, this bear had just come from Moscow Zoo. It was on its way to the UK uh, from and through Frankfurt, Germany, I guess. And anyway, uh, nobody died. Everything's good. But the migrants were inside the truck for about 10 minutes before the French police came in and removed them. Can you imagine sitting in there? Like, oh, Larry, you chose the wrong truck. <laughs> There's some bear like gnawing on your ankle. Uh, we got to get out of here, Victor. Anyway, crazy story. Uh, but luckily they lived. And here's our hero stories. You know, we always like to end the show with a hero story. You may have heard out of Bloomfield, North Bloomfield, Ohio, there was a baby missing named Rain. And um, our hero of the day is Victor Sutton. He's the man who found baby Rain Peterson, and this is a guy, love his story. He doesn't want to be called a hero. He says, I'm just a guy who found her. So hundreds of people were out looking for this baby that was missing, and he says, I'm just the guy who found her. Could have been anyone. I'm probably the least qualified to find her, but I just happened to find her. The 51-year-old father of two had joined hundreds of volunteers in the search to find the missing two-year-old Trumbull County girl for two days. I knew if I had her, he said, nothing could happen to that kid because I would protect her. He went out because he wanted to protect this girl. For four hours into the search on Sunday, around 6.30 p.m., Sutton said he saw a patch of purple in the tall grass, which was, uh, by the way, the color of the outfit Rain had uh, been wearing. She was so beautiful. She said when she lifted her head, she was obviously tired. She had been there for a while. She was fatigued. She was sad. She was desperate for somebody. But as far as her condition goes, it's hard to say. I thought she was beautiful. That's all I could really say on her condition. Sutton said he focused on, search on pl- his search on places where the baby could be found, would be found, because uh, he had this driving force of hope. He thought, if I was wrong, all I've lost is time. If I was right, you have a chance to save her life. And he did save her life. In an emotional 911 call, Sutton can be heard telling the dispatcher simply, I found the baby, Rain, and she's alive. The call came nearly 48 hours after the child was missing and about a half a mile from the great-grandparents' home where she went missing on Friday night at 7.30 p.m. Anyway, the baby was taken to the hospital in Warren and has been treated for dehydration and scratches. But uh, she's expected to make a full recovery. Cool stuff, folks another hero. They're out there. You are one of them, just a volunteer willing to help another person. So let's do it again today, all of us. Let's go looking out for those that are in need. Let's be willing to offer ourselves our hearts. And until tomorrow, uh, take care of the ones you love and uh, maybe volunteer to go look for one that's lost. Until tomorrow, folks, make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.